Kenobi podcast for the Meyer Witch Stories. Uh, Dingus, I can't do the nonsense with the title. You're going to have to take over with that stuff in a moment. Uh, but before he does that, I would like to introduce him as Christian Mintoski. Uh, it's Bitoski, but what does it matter if you look me in the eye? <laughs> nice. And with a Meyer Witch Stories tagline or two, sometimes we get three. I think once we got five. Let's see how many there are today. Kelly Wand. Today there's only one. It's Whoa. yeah. Well, I cut ones that aren't that great. <laughs> so what he's so the fact you that'll keep that in mind when you're the Kelly Wand. It's like the art of sculpture. You take a block of wood and then you cut away everything that doesn't look like what you want the sculpture to look like. You've done this with the taglines. You took a bunch of taglines and you cut away everyone that didn't look like the tagline you wanted for Meyerowitz stories. I also named it Tom, but it was really dingus I was thinking of. (laughs) All this is way better than the tagline. Well, I don't know, Kelly. What do you you got for us? It's way better. It's like me, fuckers, but without De Niro. That, so you cut out there were there were some that were worse <laughs> there than were that. Ones, there were other ones that made that one look like genius. <laughs> and then I realized it was true of all of them. And I went, all right, well, we'll see what happens. Well, at the end of this podcast, we'll have a special feature with the deleted taglines that, that uh, listeners can check out. Uh, but first, put okay. too much stock in the taglines. Like you, you expect them to be good. That's your problem. It's not me. <laughs> You're stupid for wanting me. Cool. All right. Back to all, right all right. Well, Dingus, what movie is Kelly Wan talking about? All right. This week we saw the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected. That's <sighs> open parenthetical, new and selected, closed well, I parenthetical. Don't, I don't approve of this. that silliness. I, Why? I love it. Okay, I don't under- okay, even, you guys. You guys you aren't guys- saying the name right either. It's Meyer Owitz. There's an O in there. It's that's what I said. Meyerowitz. Yeah. Although one character in the movie uh, calls the family the Meyerowitz family at the beginning. Oops. But she's plastered, so you can accept that. That's what happens. <laughs> that's the first thing that goes. So the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected, like Kelly Wan's taglines, new and selected. Um, a 2017 American comedy drama Netflix movie about having something to look forward to. It was written and directed by Noor Baumbach. It stars Adam Sandler, Elizabeth Marvel, uh, Emma Thompson, Grace Van Woodley, Grace Van Patten, uh, Dustin Hoffman, and Gail Rankin. Uh, the Meyerowitz stories, new and selected is rated a hard R, according to Gene Meyerowitz, uh, because of embedded nudity, thematic elements, and language throughout. Embedded nudity? Yeah. Is that where it's in bed? No, it's within movies within the movie. Anyway. Uh, it, 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 it really actually, said that? No, it's, it's, it's not rated. I made all that up. It's not rated, or it's rated See, because ratings are stupid. Right. right. TV, MA. The MPA, MPAA didn't bother to rate this. It's rated either right. TVMA or, or not rated. So we're in the few theaters that it's in, it's it's given an NR. And on Netflix, it's basically their equivalent of TV mature, TVMA. Kelly, I wonder if, if it had gotten a theatrical release and if you'd been in charge of the MPAA, 
What rating would you have given it, and for what reasons? Some fagalas, oi vey, and some for Drake for Pitts's for Mish for Shlugana for <laughs> Tumel. Salam alaikum. But wow, it took a it took a Muslim turn at the end there. What was that? I know. Well, I'm trying to bring people <laughs> yeah. together. It had something to offend everyone, Tom. Well, very good, Kelly Wand. Uh, Meyerowitz stories did not open theatrically, as Dingus mentioned, so it doesn't get a cinema score. But I predict it would have a cinema score of a B if it had mm. gotten a theatrical release. Yeah, that just, sounds right. Yeah. Uh, so it also doesn't have an opening box office, but I predict it would have made – would have had a limited release, and it would have made $8 million. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, uh, I so like the chick predictions. The chick right. predictions, new and selected. Yeah, so our job now on the internet is to predict what movies would have made. <laughs> uh, Metacritic, now let's deal some, with some hard data instead of speculative <laughs> fiction. On Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is 80. And on Rotten Tomatoes, the percentage of reviews that are positive is 92%. Uh, wow. That's high Bs. Kelly Wand, what would you call a synopsis of this movie? Um, so this is my favorite title for any of them. Yes. You want to guess what it is? I gosh, I would have no idea what to do because I'm I'm still flummoxed by this idea of putting new and selected in parentheses, and I I'm not sure what to do with that. So Kelly, one, I'm still very confused about the title. I'm not ready to move on to a synopsis title. You're not? Not not for guessing wise. I'm still trying to wrap oh, my head around the. Say it. No, no, I'm still trying to wrap my own head around the actual title. I don't think that I'm ready to to try to wrap my head around whatever you would call a synopsis. If there wasn't a colon, though, you wouldn't even notice anything. Weird. There's not a colon. They're parentheses. Oh. No, no. A colon, I can understand. The colon is like you've got the main title and the subtitle. I don't know what to do with parentheses, especially I don't I don't know what's Hang new. Hang on, i got to write the synopsis title now. Hang on. <laughs> we, we all have a colon. None, not many of us have a parentheses. Oh, that's something Dustin would have said. Um, Tom, it's called sure. <laughs> Meyerowitz stories, parentheses, new and selected, sis. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I might have been able to guess that if I'd, uh, if I'd given it a shot. I would like, like to hear it. I would love to hear it. Yes, rock and roll. Meyerowitz stories, new and select, sis. A word's yeah. all. Sandler. Sandler's off. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Jack and Jill, some like it hot for millennials. Oh, <laughs> His daughter's all. We can't park. This song's too good. Sandler's all. This song's so good. <laughs> good. They're related to Dustin Hoffman, so they go to his place. Hoffman's all. This is some new art I just made out of a milk carton and some actual missing kids. I think it's some of my best early work. <laughs> Woman characters all. I think I'm someone's sister. Sailors all. I need to move in with you guys. My daughter's moving to college here. Let's watch a student film. It just got picked up for nine seasons by the CW. <laughs> My vagina's got a dick inside it. I'll say. You can say that again. <laughs> There's a subliminal shot of the word vagina. In the student film, Sandler's daughter's all. Daddy, surrogate character, please don't fart on my urethra or uterus. Oh, it ain't just gas coming out. My character represents postmodernism. Oh, God. 
written by Adam Sandler's daughter character. And now to verbally sail out all the production credits. Guest starring as Captain Clitoris, someone who reminded Baumbach of Sandler's all, yeah, I think I'll watch the rest of this alone first in case I get aroused. <laughs> Dad, what happened to your face? Oh, I was just walking Moses, our giant poodle here, when she saw human hair drifting on the wind and went leaping after it, dragged me six blocks through heavy traffic. But as I like to tell passers-by, you should have seen Beatty after Ishtar. (laughs) (laughs) That night at some art opening, set in that crowded hallway from Snowden... Quite a pull. It's very deep. Yeah. I'm all about the details. <laughs> and as I like to tell passers by, you should have seen Beatty after Ishtar. <laughs> Sorry, what's your name again, Mrs. Pushtinkana? Sigourney, in one crowd pleaser, I lost Harrison Ford to Melanie Griffith. <laughs> Every time we went to his trailer to summon him for his next shot, by the way, he'd go, Tell him I'm eating. Anyway, I'm really here to see art. <laughs> Why is Sigourney so funny? This. Anyway, I'm really here to see Judd Hirsch's art. I'm expecting most of it to be cab-themed. Oh, shit, here he comes now. I think his name in this is GJ, with a hard J. Judd Hirsch is all. Then I said to Roland Emmerich, Oi, wouldn't it be kosher if I opened up one of those spaceship things and punched an alien nudik in the putts? And then I'd say on them, Mazel tov, welcome to Oi, Oi, my back's killing me. He liked it so much he kept the last line in the rough cut, then had me drive a bunch of shikses around in his school bus for the whole third act. I'm also the one who suggested to call him calling it resurgence. But the work I'm proudest of is Shocknado, obviously. Hoffman inserts his head into their conversation and goes, By the way, Sigourney just said to me, I'm Sigourney. And then I went, I'm Harold. You should see the other dog. Sigourney's all, No, and that's not your name in this. I have to go. Thanks some of you for coming, but not any closer. A girl with glasses who isn't Sandler's sister's all, Hey, Adam, it's me. Character. Why are you limping in this? I used to play a musician. Sigourney returns and goes, okay, who trashed the bathroom? (laughs) Sandler. Hoffman's all, I want to go now. Five minutes to Wapner. Sandler's all, go fuck yes! A word's all still. (laughs) Since Ben Stiller's successful at saying things about money to people, he wears a blue coat everywhere. In a construction site's 12th floor, Adam Driver's all, Wait, so if we run out the saltwater pool, where am I supposed to keep my lightsaber? (laughs) Ben Stiller's all, Look, this isn't like Tannenbaum's. There's no incest between Sandler and my half-sister in this. I think that's the lady who played um, Harvey Picar's wife in American Splendor. His phone chimes the Mystery Men theme. It's Hoffman. Hey, the maid at D was really rude, even after I told him my Sigourney story repeatedly. Stiller's all, wait, did you give my name? We have reservations. I gave him my name, and by the way, flirting with disaster is a minor O. Russell, as opposed to Huckabees, obviously. Where are you? (laughs) (laughs) It's in character. 
Uh, we're supposed to have lunch tomorrow. Well, parking was way faster than I anticipated. I complained about this to a parking cop, but he was also rude to me. So that time I did give him your name as mine. Stiller hangs up, looks at Adam Driver and goes, lunch with my dad. When I was a kid, he made me insane. But now he stares at Driver for a couple minutes, then goes (coughs) in Adam Driver's face. Without covering his mouth. Then he shrugs and goes, plaster dust. Always worse after I've been sitting. Driver's all, say no more, here. He hands Sandler two pills, a skinny one and a fat one. Driver's all, one's good, one's bad, or both are bad. I forget. Stiller's all, thanks. I'll keep them loose in my jacket pocket for months, and hopefully they'll still be intact since I don't wash these clothes. (laughs) Ten minutes later... I said, fuck this restaurant. Let's go somewhere else where the parking takes a decently long amount of time. Who's this stiff you brought with you? I don't like him. He looks Italian. Hi, Mr. Hoffman. I'm a character named Lenny, Kenny. I'm in charge of throwing away old people's artworks that nobody wants. I've really been looking forward to acting out the scene with you. Hoffman makes Stiller fire his friend, then go with him to some place with smaller tables. (laughs) Hoffman's all. 50 bucks for steak. Shlomil, shlomazel. all. Yeah, well, they're famous for their meat prices. Look at this asshole with his loud girlfriend sitting beside us. I <laughs> yeah, just set his wine on a table. So brazen. So brazen. <laughs> Hoffman grabs the guy's wine and snurfs it up. Luckily, the guy's off screen, so he doesn't notice. Also, luckily, he doesn't leave his girlfriend in reach of Hoffman. Minutes later, out on a street. <laughs> hey, asshole, my psychotic, senile father who drank your wine now says ye- he stole your coat. So hand it over. I do not like your chemistry with Dustin in this. You're also a very poor hutch. I wasn't hutch. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this French asshole also took my ticket stub from the Fault in Our Stars and put it in my coat that I'm wearing. And it also has my driver's license in it. So brazen. So brazen. (laughs) After describing the plot of Fault in Our Stars to the Frenchman at length, Hoffman and Stiller kill him and the girlfriend and give Hoffman the girlfriend's mink coat. That night... I just assumed it. That night. Okay, bye. I'm staying in another scene. Oh, I could feel there. I wouldn't have driven to Brooklyn if I'd known this was my last scene in this where I say complete sentences. You should see the other baby. As he crosses the street, a car almost hits him. <laughs> he begs the head and goes, Hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, Kelly saw another movie one time. <laughs> <laughs> Internet knows now. He gets into his car while Stiller's all, You know what, man? Me and De Niro clicked just fine in the first Meet the Parents. I didn't need you. I could barely tell you and Streisand apart. I beat you. I beat <laughs> He forgets the rest of his line and stares at us in frustration. Eventually, some words are all the dance or something. Hoffman's in the hospital. 
I am Dr. Shinobi. Uh, due to hospital policy, I'm unable to tell the offspring if their father is dead without Emma Thompson present. Get out, please. <laughs> Sander and the sisters say stuff at the same time until the doctor loses interest. <laughs> then they chase Emma Thompson down a street. Sailors all, I also had a limp in deeds. It's worse when I walk. Emma Thompson's all, I thought you were mocking me since you think I was in my left foot or something. Sandler's all, go talk to the doctor. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Meanwhile, the hospital. <laughs> ben Stiller tells a nurse who has the same name as his wife and meet the parents, which he plays a nurse. Hey, Pam, I have an important meeting about Adam Driver's salt. How long is this going to take? Pam, the nurse, is all. He's doing good for an actor. I said uh, flashlight, so I eventually showed him a flashlight. He got pretty old fast. I guess his addiction to Flintstones vitamins doesn't help either. It thins the blood. I asked him about why he takes them, and he said since Elizabeth Taylor played Wilma Flintstone's mom, the pills reminded him of The Graduate. I guess he got her mixed up with Bancroft. She said, hello, I'm Ann Bancroft. And I said, hello, you should see the other dog's name. So brazen. (laughs) Hey, Dad, do you know my name? Of course I do. It's Blackberry. Stiller holds up the Betamax tape and goes, and what's this? Hutch. Okay, it's close (laughs) enough. Hey, you got an art opening on Monday. Remember how much fun you had at your last one? Judd Hirsch will be there acting out his death scene in Sharknado. Huh, Nurse Pam. The nurse is all. Hey, it's Simple Jack and Tropic Thunder. You are really convincing. Hoffman understandably falls asleep. Stiller's all. All right, cool. He seems perfect. Man, I love the turban you put on his head. So I got to go. Bye. Later in some rain. <laughs> Hello? Hi, Daddy. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, are you my son or daughter? <laughs> Hey, Jim, the handyman stayed over with Mommy last night. Adam Driver filmed what they did, and watching it made Weinstein feel uncomfortable. The kid hangs up on him, so Stiller goes to the hospital where his dad's now in a coma. Again. Sandler's all, dude, you left! At the same time, the P-Car sisters are all, you dude left? They're like those three inside-out birds from Valerian. Stiller's all, what, he was starting to tell the Sigourney story again. Suddenly, an old white man and his black friend come to the parking lot, so the sister runs away. They tackle her and make her say stuff to them near some trees. Words are all Mrs. Picard's story. When I was a kid, that old man in there, he put me on his lap during an eclipse. Then he handcuffed me to a bed while a dog ate him. And a guy with arms offered me a box of jewels. The greatest of my life, actually. <laughs> I told Dad about it. He said I should have seen the other dog. <laughs> Sadler's all. Let's kick that old man's ass. And then our dad's. Stiller's all. Nah, his boyfriend's too black for us to survive. I got a funner idea. I did this in Mystery Men. Giggling, he and Sandler swallow Adam Driver's Xanaxes and attack the old man's car with some twigs and a rock. The car wins. They go inside, laugh at the old man by Dustin's hospital bed for crying over their dad, and show Picar their handiwork later. She's all, this is my car, you idiots. I loaned it to the molester this morning. To celebrate, they go to a writer's roundtable where Robert McKee gives them a pamphlet called Stuff Not to Forget to Tell a Dying but Annoying Relative. Later at a college... Sandler's daughter's all. Hey, Dad, this is my new boyfriend, Jaden. 
He only smokes Ben. <laughs> Jeez. Sandler, understandably, hearing Jaden's name, grabs the can of beer from his daughter's mouth and hurls it angrily to the grass. The boyfriend's all, nice to meet you, Mr. Gosling, and runs off with the daughter. Still is stall. That seems like bad parenting. Sandler's all, hey, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you lately. They start fighting and roll around in some grass. One of them wins, I guess, since next we see a hair must, bloody nose, still or at a microphone in the hospital cafeteria next to a spray painted <laughs> stuff. What? That's for the opening. What's happening right now? The opening there, because they thought maybe he could make it down, but he couldn't even, couldn't even manage that. So this guy. The hospital cafeteria, Dingus. Stiller's yeah. got a blade nose. He's, so he's standing next to a spray painted screw on a pedestal in front of all <laughs> that are all dressed up, <laughs> going. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for coming. My father made me want to become an artist after I looked at this, so I became an accountant. Uh, anyway, he named this art piece after me because I was always eating sawdust on the floor while he was trying to work. He starts sobbing uncontrollably, so Sandler takes the mic and goes, Okay, I'm not good at public speaking. It's just worse after I've been sitting. <laughs> As the crowd starts to applaud, Baumbach cuts to some words that say, Ten years later, Stiller watches Emma Thompson drive slowly into a tree. <laughs> <laughs> then he comes into her house and goes... Hey, I guess Dad's art pieces are really headed off with the uh, Alzheimer's patients at retirement facilities. Every day they forget they hated them yesterday. She's Eva Thompson's all. I don't like my character in this. We attends <laughs> to Sandler at Hoffman's house. Hoffman wears slippies and watches game shows now. Sandler's all. Hey, Dad still invited me to come out to L.A. and watch me whatever out of drive I can find in his pocket. It's like the riddle game with Gollum. Also, I now have a bionic cap. Hoffman's all. Boy, there's some cool new movie coming on in a few called The Water Boy. I think Vonsky's in it. <laughs> By the way, uh, I named that screw after Stiller because I thought you were Hutch. Sailor smashes a plate of cookies, mouths the words, go fuck yourself, at Hoffman a bunch of times and storms out. Some words tell me who had to pick up the beer can and the plate of cookies that Sam ruined. The end. Oh, thank you, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> it's tough. Let's tell them. What are you going to do? I know that. Uh, well, okay. So I, I had some trepidation going into this. I don't think. Uh, I, I was about to break up with Noah Baumbach after um, Mistress America, and while we're young, especially Mistress America. Uh, I, Mistress that. America, I think is just terrible. Uh, so I am so delighted that he is back in such fine form. I. Really, really liked this, especially, too. It's one of those movies where I was kind of dreading having to sit down and watch it. Uh, I, I think I'd forgotten Adam Sandler was in it. I knew it was Ben Stiller and Dustin Hoffman, and I just thought, oh, that's just going to be tedious. But I was just delighted with the cast. I, I loved Noah Baumbach's tone with it. Um, so for my over and under, I'm just going to put it up with uh, some other movies that I really, really like that are about – Families coming together around an, an alien uh, patriarch, an alien father. Uh, and my over – and these are all pretty close. I don't know. All these movies are really up there. I really like all of them. But my over is Royal Tenenbaums, which I think is a classic. And, and there are little bits of Wes Anderson in this, it seems. Uh, 
in Mistress America, Noah Baumbach tried to do like a screwball comedy. He tried to have a really deft, light touch, and it just I, – I don't think it worked. I think here where he gets back to some of the heartfelt stuff that's in Squid and the Whale, uh, some of the pathos in Greenberg, um, that really frees up some of the humor, I think, in an, in an odd way. So uh, I would put this up there with Royal Tenenbaums. I like that better. I think Royal Tenenbaums is a, is a classic. And I would also put it slightly above uh, a Tamara Jenkins movie based on a play she wrote with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney called The Savages, where they play a brother and a sister coming together, uh, dealing with the fact that their father is aging and has to be put in a, in a home. Um, so I love all three of these movies. I'm so glad to enjoy a Noah Baumbach movie again, uh, and I really like this movie a lot. Uh, Dingus, you go next. What's an over and under? What did you think of this? All right, so um, I'm pretty much going to track along with you, unfortunately. Um, I was Why unfortunately? Because it's good to have uh, uh, disputes sometimes. No, yeah, I knew, I knew watching this that the three of us were just going to sort of sit around and pat each other on the back about how much we like it. I'm pretty sure that's how it's going, but go ahead. I, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, I've seen it uh, a couple times now, and it really bears repeated viewings uh, for a number of reasons. I, I'm just crazy about the editing in this movie. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't quite understand it at first, but I really liked it. But watching it a second time, I really got it. Um, it's, direct, it's, it's edited by a woman named Jennifer Lame, who uh, also did, uh, did Mistress America, which I know you don't like, but she also did Manchester by the Sea, which I thought was really well oh. done. Um, but I really love the way that this movie is put together. Um, so, uh, and I agree with you. It's really nice to see him, Noah Baumbach, back in this, uh, in sort of fighting trim. I mean, he's really got a, a clear idea of what, um, of what he's doing with his tone, and he's messing sort of. I think he's messing around with a lot of. Uh, uh, he's messing around with Woody Allen, I think, a little bit. Uh, which is something that I really like. I think he's 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 modernizing it and also uh, effing with it, uh, effing with some of the things that Woody Allen used to do. Um, and at uh, my girlfriend's behest, I watched this movie this week called Interiors, which is one of Woody Allen's uh. earlier funnier works. Um, it's not funny at all. It's, I've never uh, seen that one. It's, I've always missed. It's always slipped through the. Cracks. I don't think anyone is. Dingus, you might be the only one who's ever seen that movie. Because nobody um, likes it. It's like, oh, don't see that, Jesus. Well, I was pretty crazy about it. I, I, I think I watched September with her a, a, a couple of years ago, and then I watched Interiors this week. Um, uh, after seeing this movie, and I would put Interiors slightly above this. Uh, it takes itself much more seriously than this movie does. It doesn't have any of the humor this does, but. The acting is just so solid, um, and I think the, the the it's not for everybody. There's a lot of slow. There's a lot of silences, but there's this great thing that happens that also happens in this movie, where characters start a scene talking about one thing. You know, a character might start like consoling a character, and then by the end of the scene, they're yelling at the character. The, the scenes have this this great flexibility. It doesn't feel like improvisation. It feels like there's a certainty of script, but it feels like the actors 
feel comfortable enough with each other that they, there's a flexibility in the scene so that there's that volatility can happen and you feel like it's a real volatility that happens. Even in a couple of the moments in um, my Marowitz stories where I felt might have not rung entirely true for me, um, I still loved that feeling that of volatility as far as family is concerned and interiors definitely has that. And I think that if Noah Baumbach didn't watch interiors and get some ideas from it for this, I would be very surprised. Um, way under this, uh, just going along with the Woody Allen theme, I would put blue Jasmine, uh, just because of the sibling thing. Um, but that's, that's sisters, uh, a sister crashing into another sister and, and what, and the, uh, the fallout that results from that, uh, as opposed to say a, a, a brother and a brother and a sister crashing into each other and the fallout that results from that really two brothers. Um, so while I didn't like blue Jasmine, um, I liked some of the acting in it. I thought that Kate, actually great. I thought the acting was quite amazing. Uh, so I would put that way under this from filmmaking perspective, but not way under it from an acting perspective. So over interiors under blue Jasmine. Kelly wand. What's a movie slightly better than this, a movie not quite as good. And are you going to sit here with me and dingus and enjoy how much we enjoyed it? Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm kind of bummed <clears throat> for the same reason Dingus is. But I kind of knew, too. I Which was one of us wasn't going to like it? I mean, it was just totally Maybe right Dingus? Like, he'd go, it's no. It's not... I don't know. I was tr- struggling to find reasons Dingus might not like Because <laughs> I couldn't not like it. And my, but you kind of ruined my over-under because I had, like, a theme of Jewish family movies. And uh-huh. over going to be Serious Man. And my under was going to be... Crossing Delancey, the A.B. Irving, Peter Rieger movie. Wow. But then... You, you say that like that's a, like people know what... Crossing Delancey, that Amy Irving, Peter Rieger movie. Like people go, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, that one, yeah. yeah. That, There's right. been a retrospective no, I didn't even that. remember the name of it. I had to look it up. So <laughs> Crossing Delancey, if you'd asked me, Tom, is this the name of a movie or a dopey sitcom on CBS in the 90s? I wouldn't have been able to answer that question. You wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to answer that question if you just watched it. <laughs> crossing Jordan. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. See? Yeah, I hate movies that sound like a completely different – like if it's if you're crossing Delancey, that implies that the actual walk across the street is going to be the dramatic high point to me. Is, is that what it's about? Someone, walk, you know what? Okay, so, so go ahead. Uh, it's not about that. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know what so, Delancey is. So those are the. That was your over and under that you're uh, pretending. But then when and Tom now, what's saying, the real one? When Tom was saying movies about families that come together, he made me think of a better under, which was uh-huh. this movie called Once Around, with Richard Dreyfuss. It's that guy who directed My Life Is a Dog, Lassie Halstrom. Yep. I don't know if I'm saying his first name right. If it's Lassie. But I really like that movie, and I remember it was uh, it kind of reminded me of this. But I like this better, and so I guess my over has to be Tan and Bombs then, or Serious okay. Man. You know what? Stick with Serious Man and Once Around. Shut up, Dingus. This is fun. People <laughs> enjoy it. Of, it, it. By the way, did you know that there was a an award known as the Palm Dog? No. Is it like a golden raspberry version of the? No. The, you know this uh, this movie, uh, My Arrowitz Stories, was up for the Palme d'Or at uh, at Cannes. Uh, there's an alternative uh, award that's also Slam given dance. called the Palm Dog. 
that gives an award to the movie with the best dog performance in it. This has been going on for, what? I think, since 2001. Bruno is terrible. I, that dog does not deserve an award. I totally agree, but this movie won the Palm Dog. Well, I guess we, I would have to know what other dogs it was up against. Like, maybe the competition was just so terrible that, just by default, Bruno won. But yeah, I didn't like this dog. This the is dog a weird dog. Game should win. Dog the only game annihilates this dog. Annihilates mm. Bruno. I like the dog in Gerald's game. Like, that was a cute That's little dog. And he looked, uh, yeah, he was a good actor. Uh, what's so? What's the deal with the title, new and selected? I mean, I presume it's a reference to the uh, the retrospective book that they get printed. What what does that even mean? Like new and selected? I would have been fine with this just being called the Meyerowitz story. Yeah, I thought it was a reference to when the you edit. Like we're only selecting the parts of the monologues you need. And then we'll cut them off. What does that even mean? New and selected? Is that a reference to anthologies? Well, there's or no flashbacks. No. I'm saying if there's a book of their lives, this would be their with what they're up to lately and just uh, new like little snippets of it. So like it's it's not a, a nod. Yeah. So it's a nod to a, a book structure. I think so. Okay. It's how our lives are like books. In which case, this book would be the, called this. Well, I mean, obviously, there's this kind of, and it reminded me of Wes Anderson, the bits with the title cards and uh, the the line about, you know, Danny tries to park his car, or Doctor So and So said it was the worst shove she's seen. Like that, that seemed very literary, like Alec Baldwin reading Tannenbaum from the book has a book. Tannenbaums, yeah. right? right, right. Uh, so I didn't know if New and Selected was a, uh, a a way that you express a certain book or something. I didn't know what that was. So that's why I was confused by that. Dingus, can you help me out there? Do you know? I, I think it's a, a, I think it's supposed to relate to family structure. And I think that's why, oh. I think that's why the title cards are done the way they are done. Um, you know, because you have the first title card with Danny and Danny gets his own quote. You know, Danny tries to park the car and then Matthew comes in. He just took the red eye from LA and even the doctor gets a, a title card. But then Jane, Jean gets a parenthetical. Yeah. Because she's kind of a parenthetical in their lives. She doesn't even get like a little quote. Um, and it's, I think it's this idea of, uh, of the idea of the, of Harold and the parents. Selecting his kids. Selecting like the new ones or, or then selecting who's oh. going to get what. And then at the end, the, the last one is early and late my heroines. And it's about Eliza liking to kiss Robin the best, even more than Marcus. Um, and and so I think it's it's like the handing down of that to the next generation because one of the things that Harold says is that he's hoping that maybe Eliza will be the heir to his artistic ability since nobody else will be. Right. Okay, um, I like right. that. Yeah. Right. That's Working. like when that's like Kelly. I think now I've come around. In the same way, we're waiting on Kelly to finally come around on Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Nah. As far as Wait, the title. I like the movie. Oh, yeah, I know, but you can't understand the title. You still can't wrap your head around that title. I couldn't wrap my head around New and Selected until I, I, I like Dingus's explanation there. I think now I've wrapped my head around it. Kelly, on one of these days, you'll be with uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, where I now am with Meyerowitz Stories, New and Selected. Well, it's not that I don't understand the title. I just don't remember it. <laughs> it's kind of different, isn't it? <laughs> Let's hear you say it once. What's the name of that movie? Give me the name of that movie. Martha. Do it fast, though. Martha, like, Marcy, May, Marlene. Yeah, but only because oh, he, he just heard it. me say it. Yeah, but he just heard me say it. Dingus, but we'll I get the May and Martha mixed up. 
sometimes. Right. I transpose. Because I think it's alphabetical. Oh, wait, it is uh, alphabetical. I have another question for you guys. Is there somewhere that I can sign up for an Elizabeth Marvel fan club? <laughs> is that the daughter? She no, was, that's Jean. She was in True Grit. Oh, she's she was in True Grit as the adult Maddie. She also had a really cool bit as this assassin chick in uh, in Born Legacy. I don't know if you guys remember the scene in the no. house. With the, yeah, she oh, was like this oh. ruthless chick assassin who's trying to gun down Jeremy Renner. She was so cool in that. Uh, and she's married to Bill Camp, who, Dingus, you know him from uh, the uh, – not Mike Nichols, Jeff Nichols movies uh, – I think Kelly and I know him from a series on HBO called The Night Of. Um, mm-hmm. But well, I he's loved the guy her in, in The Night Special who's tracking him down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Camp is, yeah, that was Bill Camp. Um, but I, I loved love her in this. Her in this. Oh, she was so good. And, yeah. and I also think she's kind of the the point of the movie. Like, yep. uh, yeah. Noah Baumbach's movies have, uh, they're they're about. Basically, I don't know if I can make this blanket statement. Uh, let me just see how far I can go with this. They're about people who are deeply, deeply insecure uh, and eventually have some sort of a come-to-Jesus moment, like some reckoning <laughs> with themselves. And that moment is delivered by Jean in the parking lot where where she's sort of upbraiding them for just giving into and feeding their anger. And, you know, them beating up that car was, was, it kind of exemplifies that. And she has this great line, and there are so many great lines in this movie, where yeah. she says, I could smash every car in this parking lot and burn down this hospital, and it wouldn't unfuck me up. Uh, and that's just sort of a great <laughs> observation about, look, you can be mad, but you're going to have to reconcile yourself to the fact that you are fucked up by whatever family dynamics have made you who you are, and you've just got to accept that. Um, and I just love that that was kind of the, the come to Jesus moment in this story, her sort of bringing the point around. And what she says, too, I think they say to her, you know, I'm so mad at dad and you, you want to take care of him. Why is that? And she says, because I'm a decent person. That's um, what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then there's I a love, great moment where she says, and, and I, I like hanging out with you guys. And they try to hug her and she's like, I'm going to. Get oh, my God. That was so adorable. Like it just. Yeah. Like she's she's no like she's no like magical negro who's gonna like solve everybody's problems. She's still super uncomfortable in her own skin, right. and she doesn't want to be hugged in that moment, even though she's just dropped this beautiful pearl of wisdom. Um, yeah, right. yeah, that was such and, an adorable physical fit. They say, "Do you want to say something?" She's like, "Fuck no." I mean, yeah. I, I just I absolutely loved her, and Chris Margetson, totally one of our listeners who writes in regularly, totally agrees with you, Tommy. Tom, he he calls this good writing because of the fact that the guys vandalize the car, and uh, and they feel better about it, but it does nothing for her. Yeah, and a lamer so director that would have been like she would have been. Ah, that's so sweet. <laughs> or it would have been somebody else's car. It would have been a gag. Right. Oh, look, it's that other person's car. Ha ha. And she would have taken the hug. That's well, why I love. I love these characters, and that's what bugged me about While We're Young is there just wasn't anything going on in it. I didn't even understand the plight of the characters. I didn't get. There's no conflict. What? So they have young friends. Who gives a shit? <laughs> but this this is eventful, and these characters are really interesting and, and juicy, and they're going through it, some well, shit. It, it, was it does. It, it does feel to me like um, when 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 we saw Greenberg, one of the things that I wondered out of that, and I don't. I don't know if this really bears up, but I was kind of thinking, is this like a prequel to The Squid and the Whale? Like, is is uh, Ben Stiller's character hooking up with Greta Gerwig, is this going to end up being like uh, Jeff Daniels and – oh, shoot. 
Who was the mother in that? I can't believe I can't. Was uh, that Laura Linney? Laura it was Linney. Laura Linney. Yeah, of course. Is this going to be them in the future? Uh, I, I just feel like um, Noah Baumbach has such a preoccupation or some deal with his father that he's mm-hmm. kind of back to telling stories about his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just feel like it, it's you know it's what he knows and he knows it so well. He's and so much good of the at writing it. in this, he's yeah. really good at it. And so much of the writing is just so heartfelt in this. Yeah. It takes a lot of balls to make someone that unlikable, and it's still like the characters. Well, Greenberg and and, and Jeff Daniels in um, Squid and the Whale. I mean, those guys are they're right. they're they're just terrible, pathetic, self obsessed schmucks um, who are just you feel, bad for them. you feel bad for them, but they're they're completely unlikable though. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I. I it's it it takes quite it takes some really good writing and storytelling and acting to have that front and center in a movie. Yeah. I thought the challenge in this movie would have been to make the Stiller character sympathetic, and he really was. I felt his plight too, and that was like why another reason I was really enjoying the movie is because in like a lamer, I kept picturing the lamer version of it, and that's where Sadler the sister just victimized, and like the Stiller character is successful, and the dad really respects and admires him, but he doesn't. And yeah. Stiller feels bad for them, and he gets it instantly. He's like, yeah, nobody took care of them. It sucked. It's great. I loved all the characters in this. I loved all the acting. If it, you guys are right about Sandler. He's capable of things I didn't used to think so. He, yeah, it was really fascinating watching him in this. Yeah. I was really – one of the things that I love about this movie is how the editing works in his favor. Because uh, every time he's about to crank up and do that I'm going to yell thing <laughs> – yeah. There's a there's a cut. And in fact, the first time I watched it, I was wondering if those cuts were really just to drop them out of that. But the cuts are pretty consistent and they're pretty well done. And I really love that convention that this movie has of of the way it it cuts out of scenes. The way it I think I think our listener, I'm pretty sure it's Tony Carnavale who wrote in who really, really liked this and says, Now this is a movie. I'm pretty sure he refers to that as smash cuts. Which I don't know that I would refer to the, it that way, I, I, but I don't know the term, but I'm pretty sure he's the one who says that. Um, he really loved this. Uh, but I love all of those cuts, and every, every one of them, I think one of my, one of my favorites is, is when, um, you know, after the three different restaurants and then the fight with the French guy, and, uh, and Matthew says he's going to see, he's, he's going to his mother's, and, and Harold says, well, I should come along. And he goes, Dad, I don't think that's a good idea. And that's, yeah. the, the the cut is there, and by yeah. now you understand the characters well enough not only to know what word he's going to say, but right. understand how that argument is going to play out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I really and, and, love that so exactly much. And it is, by the way, and I'm looking at the email now. It is Tony Garnavale who says that every single smash cut, though, great. Somehow the smash cuts didn't get old. I loved each one. Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, by the end of the movie, he definitely pulls back from it. In the end of the movie, there are moments where it doesn't cut, and there's like a lot of dead space after a line. Uh, and I'm not entirely sure what to make of that, but it it it's sort of like the characters earn a moment of peace for themselves, almost. Uh, good point. The thing that weirded me out was after the convention of the white title cards, after the final white title card, we start doing this – this bump with a with with black, with with just uh, a screen a, earlier, a black though, screen. There? No, this one was it. It was. It, okay. You've I seen think it twice. they. I think they only happen later on, after right. after all the white title cards are done. 
and I was kind of confused by that. But I think that's kind of as 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 Tom has said, the characters have earned a bit of peace. It's not just time passing. You know, you might be right. I, you know, I'm, I don't remember all the occasions when it is, and if it's just that's the only one. I thought there were two, but I forget what the other one was. But I think they all happen after the white title card thing has has run its course. And I think there's a real reason for the structure there. I just haven't completely put it together yet. Well, I believe it's there. I think your Woodboard viewing should do it for you. <laughs> and then you can report it back to us. All right. So, um, Tony, was anything lame in this movie? Oh, go well, on. For for Tony to answer your question, he uh, he's hardcore cringe. He says he's hardcore cringing at all of Adam Sandler's songs. Uh, he says, "I feel like Greta Gerwig wrote these." Guess I'll find out in the credits. <laughs> Actually, as you can tell from the final final song in the movie over the credits the score is done by randy newman uh, and you can tell that by his singing at the end um and i kind of liked the way this score ran sort of a little bit of light like mock gershwin at times and then it gets cut off like there's a there's a real gershwin moment which is reminiscent of sort of woody allen and again i think how noah bombuck is playing with that this is me talking, not Tony, um, where he brings the box to his car when he's about to go up to Gene's house. And there's this this light piano playing that's very reminiscent of Gershwin. And he gets in the car and puts on the radio and a pop song comes on and it just cuts off the Gershwin. And now we it's another of those like this is a this is a different era. This is a different kind of movie. But I'm I'm kind of riffing on the same chord. But for uh, for Tony, that scene with uh Sandler and his daughter singing their duet was cloying and made him queasy. Do you guys agree? Uh, well, I thought that that scene was actually touching because it was an example of uh, – it, it was weirdly sad that the two of them were singing a song uh, called Mommy and Daddy and Genius Girl Make Three because there weren't three of them there. Yeah. Uh, it, it was clearly this this sign that these were two people who were missing someone. Uh, and and they were singing. They were sort of reliving a happier moment. Uh, if it had just been, if it had just been at that level of, hey, dad and daughter really get along, and they're singing and harmonizing, uh, and they're goofing around and having fun, I would have agreed with Tony that it was cloying. But there's an undercurrent of sadness to it, uh, where I really liked that song a lot. I'm totally, I'm totally with you on that. Plus, I like the writing of the song, and I like the. I like the the clear rapport that those two actors have with each other. Well, and um, it's also like Dingus in a, in another movie. You would just show a picture of Adam Sandler, Grace Van Patten, and then someone who played the mother. But instead right. of showing us that visually, it gave us that in the form of this song. You know, that's the equivalent of seeing the picture and knowing somebody's missing uh, from that picture. Instead. We hear a song being sung and know that somebody is missing who is supposed to be in that song. And if you've ever been through that kind of thing before, you know how how poignant and how difficult it is because she's singing about who she got her nose from. And right, right, right. this is something they wrote in a different time, but they can still sing it together. And it has a totally different feel that, you know, I think she says, I, we wrote this when I was nine or something like that. Um the, when when they first sang it, and you just imagine what I imagine is how they 
when they would sit at the piano and sing the song through the years and how it has a different, a slightly different feel um, through the years and, and goes into a totally, not a, not a dark place, but it becomes darker uh, or more poignant, I would say. And I love the way that the two of them played that. I loved it. It's also a good bookend. To, it's good to show them that they have a connection and they love each other as a bookend to later when he just throws your beer can to the grass. Because without that piano scene, you just go, oh, is he just a dick to her? Or something? Right, right, right. Yeah, because that was a really well, dick move. That yeah, it was really a super was. dick yeah. move. And without well, that, you only see him – like when they're in the car, they're kind of bonding, but he's pissed off too there. So to show him not being pissed off at his daughter and like them enjoying each other's company a lot makes that scene later even more – like, what? He's, he's also losing the one thing that g- gave him identity, which is something I really could identify with, is that he yeah. – and they say this early on – is that he was a dad. That was what he did. And as Ben Stiller says to him after that moment, she's a person now. There's no more parenting to be done. Just She's a person now. Just let her be a person. And for Adam Sandler, that's got to be terrifying to him. And that's why he does that with the beer because he still wants to be a parent. He still wants – to fulfill that part of his identity, that he didn't and, get from Dustin at all, and it's and no he longer was the artistic there. One. Right, but if it was ever he has there, to, he has to figure out what else to look forward to in life because that part of his life is over, for all right. intents and purposes. I mean, she'll need things from him. I'm not saying he's going to abandon her, but and like he tells her right. later, now his life's going to be taking care of dad, mostly. Although he and does, yet, he, he's not ready to do that either. He doesn't know quite how to do that, you know, by smashing that plane on the floor. Um, so did either of you, and this is something that Chris Markinson says in the title of his email, did either of you have the Shailene Woodley thing? Oh, sure, yeah. She definitely looks like her, yeah. Uh-huh. I thought I was certain it was her. Oh, I knew it wasn't, but she definitely has this Shailene Woodley look to her. Oh, I was certain it was her until the nudity started, uh, and then they then he does the ticket step thing, and it's fault in our stars. And I thought that was Noah Baumbach going, "Yeah, I know." <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Well, I think I, it is I, doing that. Then I did not approve of Dustin Hoffman's character characterizing both of the actors in Fault in Our Stars as winning. There's no way Anselm Elgort could be described <laughs> as winning. So that made that, me very happy. Oh, uh, so happy. Is he, but wait, you didn't see him in that, though. Maybe in that he is winning. In what? No, I saw Fault in Our Star. That's where I first you learned. Saw to Fault hate. Our That's Star. where I first learned to hate Anselm Elgort. Uh, where do you think you don't get born that way, Kelly Wan? That's a learned behavior. You mean seeing the Fault in Our Stars? <laughs> or Baby Driver? Either one will who do. Who taught you that? Who taught you? Are you like the neglected <laughs> child too? No, I learned. I, I saw Fault. We ta- I think we talked about this. Fault in Our Stars is one of those movies where Shailene Woodley, like that thing with Miles Teller, she gets stuck with a schmuck, some jerk who, uh, who who's not worthy of her. Um, yeah. Is that what the title refers to? Fault in Our Exactly. Yeah. It's not, the, them having cancer is not the their problem. That's them having cancer answer. is that she's stuck with him. Although, right. haha, he dies. <laughs> hey. Oh, really? Yep. I, don't mind I actually liked that. him in it, so I know, I, I know. you're like yeah. Dustin Hoffman in in this movie, Dingus. That's right. I named my uh, first uh, my first screenplay after him because he sat on my floor while I was writing it. There's so many great lines in this too. Uh, I mean, it's just such great writing. I don't remember 
any stuff like I remember in Mistress America lines that felt like they thought they were really good. <laughs> yeah, and thinking, uh, oh god. But but in this there were just so many lines that just just like just like gut punches they were so good yeah. uh and if the and first they come time out noticed, a weird moment yeah yeah exactly i mean they're just so natural let me give is, you before you before mm-hmm. you give yours let me give you one of tony's favorite lines in this movie this is tony mm-hmm. carnaboli and it's this oh because of why and that's when uh when the doctor says the uh, <laughs> X-rays or, or the, the the tests are being read in India, and <laughs> that's a, and it's great. It's a great Adam Sandler performance too, yeah. and it just gets back. It gets to his comedic background, and he yep. does a similar thing where he puts that's the shark right. in his mouth and then immediately takes it out of his mouth. There's just yeah. great little funny bits like that that he's doing. Yeah, um, but yeah, the India bit was fantastic. They don't oversell anything, and when the doctor tells San, uh, Stiller, she goes, "Yeah, he must his this is like the biggest shove I've ever seen, like blood in the brain. He must have an incredible tolerance." for discomfort and like a lamer director would have shown Stiller doing a double tick like what or even saying a line but instead he just kind of blanks and then says his next thing it totally underplays it well one of the early bits too was when when he finds out they're selling the house and someone says to him why do you care and just he so honestly says I don't know (laughs) like that's his response yeah he just knows that he's got this emotion and he can't articulate it or understand it he just feels it and he when somebody says why do you care rather than trying to think of a reason that he cares he just immediately says I don't know (laughs) I love that (laughs) they always say that there's no filter it's great (laughs) Uh, what are some other lines you like Tom well, the, the Dustin Hoffman stuff, and again, this is where I just see Noam Baumbach. He's got to be writing his own father because it's it's Greenberg level stuff. It's Jeff Daniels and Squid and the Whale. Right. Um, the, and one of the early ones is Dustin Hoffman saying, uh, "I find Mom to be skillful without being an artist." Of, of Somerset Mom. <laughs> I mean, oh my God, that is such a pretentious, yeah, dick thing, pedantic thing to say, uh, and it. I just love, there's so many little bits like this that Dustin Hoffman gets. Um, oh, yeah. drunk Emma Thompson. I just have yeah. no amount of joy. Drunk Emma Thompson uh, saying at one point, uh, um, uh, I thought you were mocking me. And I think Ben Stiller yeah. says, you don't walk that way. And she says, well, I thought it was a bad imitation. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's as good as anything Woody yeah. Allen has ever put in one of his comedies. Uh, and I don't, I don't mean that as a slight on Woody Allen. I mean that that is a praise for Noah Baumbach. That's just a oh, brilliant bit of comedy. When Stiller says to Sandler after Sandler goes, yeah, it's stiffer after I've been sitting. And then Stiller goes, you should see the other dog. And they're all, what? He's all nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is awesome writing. And, and Ben Stiller keeps trying to do those, those yeah. callbacks. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right, Tom, and that means that in this analogy, Stiller is the Noah surrogate. Well, you know, I, I don't. Well, he's not the Sandler. Well, you know, I, I don't know if Noah Baumbach has brothers. Uh, exactly right. I know, but you steal uh, from like for you. I, I don't have a brother, so I don't understand really the dynamics of brother brother relationships the way I would understand a brother sister relationship. Um, like but but I do wonder if there's this sense of Noah Baumbach splitting himself into two characters uh because yeah. he is of course a, a successful la guy and that's been stiller's character and that you see that in greenberg but he's also and you can tell this from his movies he is a a, a 
deeply, profoundly insecure, self-loathing right. intellectual person. Um, and and that, that's kind of it. Uh, who obviously is also very East Coast as well. Uh, right. So I, I don't know if he's necessarily one or the other, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's some of both characters. I related to every character, including, much to my annoyance, Dustin Hoffman's character. Like, yeah, that's probably how I'll be. Like, yeah, I love how is... she refers to him as the dad. That was so yeah. weird. Yeah. Was... yeah. <laughs> but it was Everybody's... like, yeah, it's like this it's this little pet name that they've had going for forever. Well, yeah. It's her way of walling herself off from the children. She's like, I don't want to be. Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not dad. It's not your dad. It's the dad. And you are the kids. And these are the walls I'm building. <laughs> Is Dustin a good artist, or is he just uh, is he like Jeff? Because Dan- in Squid and the Whale, Jeff Daniels uh, is on his decline. Like he used to be good, and Laura right. Lenny's getting better. So that's the whole issue. But in this, is he like Javier Bardem and Mother, like a total fuck? I mean, I don't. I don't think he is a good artist. I mean, I don't. I don't that's think the implication, right? I don't think so either, because his his art's being donated to rest homes, right. and it looks like a bunch of two by fours glued together. Yeah. Right. When he pull, when he pulls out that wooden one, and he's kind of dusting it, uh, it just looks. It, it it really looks like a a child with a cherished drawing or something. Like yeah. the the way he yeah. he pulls that down to show it off, and it's so completely unspectacular. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, think I get that the is implication he, that he sucks. Well, there's even a great line too, uh, in the the as Kelly calls it, the hospital scene, where I, I think it's Ben Stiller, or maybe it's Adam Sandler, who says, "If he isn't a great artist, that means he's just a prick." Yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of this this sad realization. Um, but Sandler goes, "I think it's good." <laughs> Later, when he gets up there at the microphone, doesn't Sandler defend it? Like, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, they obviously don't know, which is the thing. Right, right, right. I mean, he's not a great artist in the sense that he might be. He might be good to people who uh, are, are super academic about sculpture, but he's not a great artist in that I don't think he has moved people, for instance, w- with his right. art uh, necessarily. Although there you is that blonde. Shit him, well, there is that blonde yeah. in the showing uh, who Ben Stiller thinks. Him. Right. Yeah. So, so maybe in academic circles, but I don't. Uh, yeah. yeah. And she's supposed to be considered smart and cool because he's excited to see her. Like, oh, it's, well, it's the fun. The same thing happens in Squid and the Whale, though. I mean, he he can right. convince his students that he's yeah. brilliant, you know, so much so that one moves in with him. Or but we know he's full of shit. Right. It's Eisenberg learning his dad's full of shit. Right. Yeah. Um, How'd you guys feel about that, that roll around fight? I loved it. Because Markinson says that he believes that he would have that, – that's pretty much the way he would have a fight. <laughs> the fight – well, it's it's right up there with the fight choreography in Francis Ha. Because Greta Gerwig has a, a fight scene with uh, – what's her name? What Summers? It's Sting's daughter. What was that woman in Francis Ha? Shoot. Oh, I don't remember. Sorry. I forget that actress's name. It's your favorite. We don't movie. see the end of the fight. It's it sort of get well. I think that's part of the editing things yeah. is yeah. that their anger. The idea is that their anger. The, the, once they reach peak that. anger, the scene loses interest in them. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's sort of about yeah. them getting there. It's like okay, see where we ended up. We're yeah, gonna move see, on now. Okay, he's pissed. You get it. Yeah, yeah. He just screamed this a bunch of times more. <laughs> I beat you. I will say though, I. Uh, 
excuse me, like uh, <clears throat> Inglorious Bastards, I think, is a movie that is a support structure for this amazing idea that what if movies were able to burn Adolf Hitler alive? Like it's all about coming to this one really cool literary concept that just looks spectacular on screen. Uh, and I had a similar feeling about this movie uh, in that I think this movie is a support structure for a scenario in which an artist's work is being showcased and the work is of no importance to to the work is not the point of the showcasing that at this point the work is the children that he has created you know this the showing should be about his sculptures instead it is this raw emotional display from his children that he created these sculptures sure but more importantly he created these children and that is showing these children reveal themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. I just love that concept, uh, and that the movie comes to that. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How did you feel about the two toasts during that hospital scene, as Kelly Wan put it? Puts it during uh, the two, during the bard thing. Two toasts. Well, they, they were they were the things that they were saying, the speeches that the two brothers were giving. Oh, right. Well, that's what I'm saying is that those were the the works of of uh, what was his first name? Harry? No, Harold. Harold. Though the works of Harold uh, Meyerowitz in were not the sculptures. The works were those speeches, the things that his children oh. said. He had created these speeches. He had created these reactions in his children. You know, his lifelong work, what was on display here was uh, Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler's anger and frustration and uh, just their emotional breakdowns at this point. You know, Ben Stiller crying, this is what he had created uh, with his time, I think. What I meant was, how do you feel about how performance-wise, how Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both so good. I mean, Ben Stiller's thing wasn't uh, – it wasn't just complete – like there there was a – I don't want to say a light touch because he's crying. He's breaking down. But it's not like an existential crisis where he's devastated for the rest of his life. It's more like a a kind of a release. Uh, So I I think Ben Stiller – like it's kind of funny in a way, and and Ben Stiller lets it be kind of funny, and so does Noah Baumbach. Um, But I loved both of them, and I love the idea too that Adam Sandler just can't talk in front of people. Helps yeah. him and and is very uncomfortable having to help him having to get up there. Yeah, you know, right. not, like he's helping the guy that he just punched in the nose. Um, yeah. So yeah, he I, said I, everything Sandler believes. Like Sidler, Stiller just admitted everything Sandler said was true yeah. right before the fight. The thing is, having seen it two times, and I, I guess having being more familiar with the content of the toasts, like what what, what did you think of this? How, what did you think of their acting and uh, the dialogue in that in that bit? I was less crazy about Ben Stiller. I, mean, I don't know. Really? Yeah, and I was surprised. That, you know, Chris Parkinson didn't want to like either one of them, but he has to sort of grudgingly admit that they're both really good in it. Uh, and I agree that they're good to an extent, but I think Adam Sandler is much better. Um, and I know it's not a horse race or anything, but I just I didn't really believe what Ben Stiller was doing in that scene. I, I know he's crying and everything, but it's just weird. I don't. I didn't believe it. But uh, that's how those guys would be. Is like, yeah, I, I know. It's I know. Like I'm, just talking, not, 
I'm talking really? purely on a performance level. I totally got what Adam Sandler was going for, and uh, I don't know. I just went along with him more. But I, I, maybe that's part. Maybe that's thematic. And I and I absolutely love the moment where he says, "You know, there are no Dannys," and then off screen you hear her go, "And no jeans." Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was awesome. And the crowd's rea- the crowd's lack of reaction to that was really funny to me. Well, it gets kind of too to this whole idea, which I think is kind of the point of the movie. Is that this art showing where he should be displaying his sculpture? Instead, what he's displaying, his life's work, is these children, and Gene is kind yeah. of marginalized. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but this by now by consistently I don't know if you would call it by choice, but she's been marginalized so much. Over, well, so I mean, her right. I mean, she she's like she's she's got an acceptance of this. Like that's Jean's whole thing is I could tear down this hospital and it wouldn't unfuck me. Like she's she's resigned yeah. to being where she is w- with her life, and she's not just letting this anger flow through her. She doesn't fall yeah. apart at this bit. You know, this is this is a a, a moment for for them to display what their father has done to them and for them to kind of realize it in front of everyone. Uh, It's like in a romantic comedy. At the end of the romantic comedy, the dude and the chick get together and they proclaim their love in front of a a hapless audience who didn't mean to be there. This is kind of like that in this dramatic structure. Dude, if that happened at a real wedding I was at, I would just start booing. (laughs) Because I'd go, come on, I got a gift for this and all like Fly all the way out to Cabo. Fuck you, people. <laughs> it does, yeah, it does remind me of the curse toast. That's a good and they always point. smile excited, like, oh, look, it's love happening. This is more important than what we came here for. This is great. Whoever the father-in-law is, it's, he loves this happening. Okay. Right, uh, I also loved, 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 <laughs> even even though it was a little bit contrived, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that, the long hospital walk with Ben Stiller and Adam Sandler where – Adam Sandler misunderstands every single thing Ben Stiller yeah. is telling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's not misunderstanding him. He's fucking with him, I thought. He was being no, I, I think he genuinely yeah, he misunderstanding and talking uh, over him. And yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just showing that they're from different worlds, right. uh, that, that they just don't understand each other. Right. <laughs> oh, because you wanted something bigger, right? <laughs> or smaller. I think he says I, oh. I, you wanted something smaller, right? Yeah. Right. So you talk to your boss. No, I don't have a right. boss. Yeah. I mean that—that's right there. Like that could be sketch comedy. Like that could be yeah. brilliant sketch comedy. Yeah. But Noah Baumbach puts it in this real life situation between two very well, yeah. very well written characters. I um, love these characters. Yeah, yeah. So much. How, how did you feel about this? Is something that Chris Merkinson also asks us. Um, how did you feel about the phone calls with Matthew and his son? But, goofy, <laughs> really goofy. I mean, what a dopey kid. <laughs> His, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it any better than Sandler does. His marriage is his family's terrible. I mean, I guess the, the, the kid could grow up and be become like as as cool as uh as no Ezra Elsa. What was her name? Eliza. Eliza. Right. Right. But uh, I just thought it was really silly that he's just got a. a this kid sucks. A, like yeah, a silly young child right. <laughs> on the phone who keeps hanging up on him. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that stuff was really funny. What, what did Markins say about that, Dingus? Uh, he said that he thought they were awkward, but he suspects they were supposed to be, but he found that he that they slowed things down for him. He Here's the thing, though. The, he takes the, the one about the handyman. He leaves his dad's bedside. 
to take that. So he winds up giving up. He, he bails on the family member who's still conscious for the last time and remembering him and saying nice things to him and important things to go have this empty, shitty conversation in the rain with this stupid kid <laughs> and then goes back. So to me, everything that's shitty about that kid conversation is just adds to the, the poignancy of like, it's the last time he's going to see his dad like sane in theory at that point in the movie. Uh, what did you guys think about Noah Baumbach's weird little Zoom when Adam Sandler recites the the goodbye stuff uh, after dropping the cookies? I liked it. I was I was uncomfortable with it. Why? I don't know. It just felt like it was from another movie. Really? Yeah. Huh. Because he was whispering, or because of the Zoom? It, because of the way that it was cut, it just felt weird to me. I don't know. Uh, uh, I liked it. I liked it as a moment. I don't know. Well, it's definitely say. using a uh, cinematic language at, that ha- yeah. like, that hasn't been used previously in the movie right. to highlight the importance of the movie. And I think, therefore, the emotional state of Adam Sandler's character at that moment. It's sort mm-hmm. of like with each line, he was making a decision. Uh, he was taking what had been just empty words that he read out of a pamphlet, Focus. and they had different kind of meaning to him. Uh, and Dingus, I, you're absolutely right, because there's nothing else like that in the movie. It's a weird moment that stands out, uh, and I, I think it's just highlighting that that moment sure. stands out. It, it's sort of like it makes me wonder, did, Ad, did Noah Baumbach ever have a moment like that with his dad that's been preying on him ever since? Um, It's obviously like a watershed moment for Adam Sandler's character, and why did Noah Baumbach want to make it look so markedly different from other parts in the movie? Uh, Presumably because – yeah. Presumably because it had some special importance either for Noah Baumbach or for the character. Uh, I guess I saw it as the last time he's going to like see his dad on the terms that they've been having. And so he, with these words, he's like exercising his dad. It, it was a bit like that, Kelly Wand, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. The power of Christ compels you. Yeah, like it's sort of a liturgical dismissal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're just standing in a doorway, and then that's it. And so then that's the last time we see those two characters together. So right. So there's a certain sense. Like, uh, is, is actually, is that the last time we see them together? I think so. I mean, it's one of the last scenes. Um, I think it's the last time we see Hoffman. In that case, yeah, well, I think all yeah that makes that, that makes plenty of sense if it is the last time we see him. Mm. But I mean, there's enough like with the editing gimmicks. I'm already I'm kind of ready for anything. Like I'm not going to be jarred by a zoom at that point, right. just because it's um, the the camera wants me to know that it's there and it's I'm watching a, a movie about amazing characters that just happen to get picked on picked up on film. Kelly Wand, it's a super tight zoom. Are you comfortable being that close to Adam Sandler's mouth? Uh, well, my dick's the same shape and color as that screw, but crookeder. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees when I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three, feet apart, not free, getting down with three. Is that answer your question? <laughs> Kelly Wan, I fully expected some sort of a, a, a trilling rowl about Grace Van Patten. She's a beautiful young woman. And, and nary, nary a peep from you in this whole podcast about her. I got her mixed up with Joyce. Um, and so I thought that was like one of the step moms running around. Just I thought you would have gotten her mixed up with Dick. Mom on eight is enough. Ah, Dick. 
And maybe she is related. That he's not wearing any pants right now. <laughs> Something. <laughs> yeah, what were you saying, Tom? <laughs> uh, I want to. I, I want to briefly tell you guys. I need to warn you guys about something. Oh. Uh, I hate to have to tell you this, but Craig Zoller's latest movie—he's the guy that did Bone Tomahawk, which we we revere, we consecrate that movie. Uh-huh. His latest movie is kind of bad. Uh, you know. What's his latest movie? I keep forgetting. It only takes one movie to make or break a streak, Tom. Uh, it makes me think he didn't understand what made Bone Tomahawk so good. It's called a uh, brawl. No. Brawl in Cell Block 99. Oh, yeah. I, wanted, I was curious about it. It's, like it's, a, it? it's a prison exploitation movie with Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn is fascinating in it. Um, but you, you know how in Bone Tomahawk, he didn't have the budget for certain things, but that was okay because the writing and the acting and the characters yeah, overcame it. The action, too. Yeah. Now, imagine that without the, the writing and the characters. Um, it's a different writer. No, no, it's his own script. He wrote it and he directed it, uh, and it has points of commonality, but it's nowhere near as good as Bone Tomahawk. Maybe it's something early work before he got to be Bone Tomahawk good. Like Bone Tomahawk came out and everybody was like, quick, make something else. What script do you have in the back of the drawer? From dusk till dawn? Yeah, let's try it. (laughs) Right. Um, But it's super long. Uh, and it's it's just there there are long stretches where I kept waiting for good writing to happen, and it wasn't happening, and it wasn't happening. Uh, but but what I wanted to point out, uh, Vince Vaughn is great in it. Like it's worth watching. It's over two hours, but it's worth watching just for Vince Vaughn. Uh, and early on in the movie, Vince Vaughn and he, he's he's like, I guess Vince Vaughn is a tall guy, but he's super big in this, and yeah. he's got his head shaved. He beats the crap. Out of a car, <laughs> and it made Is me th- it the watch. Cameron Diaz fucked in Counselor. Oh well, no, no. It, it well, it made me think of the car that uh, got beat up by Ben Stiller uh, and Adam Sandler oh, yeah. in Meyerowitz stories. Like the contrast between them trying to beat up a car and uh, Vince Vaughn beating up a car. That was something else to see. Vince Vaughn with a car. I feel bad for cars, except for the just because of the car and Christine, they all get beaten up. Doesn't seem cool. Carless doesn't. He can't fight back. Well, they've got they've got maximum drive to to console themselves with. That's what they wish they had. Right. It's their power. They probably cars probably gather and watch that secretly. They gather. (laughs) They gather in a parking garage. I thought they would have gone to a tribe and. So don't see the Vince Vaughn prison movie, Tom saying. No, no, see it, but don't expect a bone tomahawk because it, it's nowhere. It, you won't nowhere near that level. Watching it. See, in um in the movie Made, Vince Vaughn refers to himself on that airplane as a tall drink of water. <laughs> there is a, there's a point in the movie where people speculate how tall he is, and they arrive at and I don't know if this is true, six five. Huh. I don't know if that's true. He's supposed to be a real badass in that true detective season the yeah but like a weird in a weird way not like in a physically imposing way um but he's super physically i I mean i i don't want to dissuade anyone yeah i don't want to dissuade anyone from seeing uh craig zoller's latest movie Uh, the guy i I like his writing i really like a script that he did called asylum blackout uh before bone tomahawk kelly wand what would you guess a movie called asylum blackout is about just give me a quick like two line description of what that movie's about. 
uh, someone roofies one of the patients, and then it turns out to be Cosby at the end. It, yeah, it it's actually wakes up. see uh, your your idea with it's it's about a, a power uh, law. Uh, an asylum loses power. And well, how the, would that the, affect it? The doors. So then the doors open. Uh, well, they're they're having lunch. The <laughs> they're in they're in the lunch uh, area uh, when the blackout happens. Yeah. So well, how so then what's what are the ramifications? Of a oh well, there, there's crazy people uh, go rampaging. It's an asylum, and, and terrible things happen. You know, you've seen Bone Tomahawk. Use your imagination. Uh, my first it, thought would be, oh, the microwave that was preparing my lunch is now not working. I'm <laughs> assuming I'm patient there. In your the main system. characters in Asylum Blackout are local uh, are, are people who work at the asylum in the kitchen. And it's sort of like the power goes out, and they're in the kitchen, and they've got to survive. So it's the cafeteria workers' story. Cafeteria, that's the word. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Right. That could be in any cafeteria, though. Oh, really? You think it a, a blackout in like a in like a, an elementary school cafeteria? You think the workers there would worse. be? It works. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like asylum over the fucking kids, crazy kids, and blackout. Have you seen them? What about a nursing home where some of Dustin Hoffman's artwork was on display? You're That's working like at the cafeteria. Yeah, <laughs> you're working at the cafeteria. There, the power goes out. Are you terrified? Does his art glow in the dark? <laughs> See, uh, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me that it's set in a cafeteria like that's the. Um, I'm trying to think of other movies. Okay, three by threes. Speaking of three by threes, Kelly Wan, what are we doing today? <laughs> The Mist is kind of a cafeteria movie, if you think about it. Uh, today we're doing applause lines. And I said it like that because you're supposed to applaud that I said it. Like, oh, I see. All right. And I don't know what to do with this. Dingus, you get what? to go first. You're, you're setting it's the tone, more- Dingus. Here's yeah. the thing. You don't seem yeah. to like topics where it's like a personal experience. And, by the way, I forgot to mention, it can be a, a line from someone in the audience that made them applaud at a certain huh. point. Guess what my number three is. Oh, good. I hope it's uh, when the woman told you to shut up, fool. Well, I guess we'll go to my number three. My number three favorite applause line in a movie is, take the baby outside. <laughs> and then the, the audience baby. applauded. You're not take going to jail for that. That's so... <laughs> So that's you still insist people applauded. Well, they did. They applauded me, but it took a while. Take your baby out. outside, miss. Yeah, Tom. And that line is from the baby. that was from Ali, right? Yep, the movie Ali, the biopic Ali with Will Smith. A baby well, was was, uh, was burbling throughout the movie, and I finally yelled out because it wasn't a place where I could walk up and say anything. She was back in the back of the theater. I said, "Take the baby outside," and she went, "Shut up, fool." But people applauded. Tom insists. (laughs) Right. They applauded. Their applause took a moment to kick in. It takes you a moment, Kelly, to raise your hand out of your lap and start bringing it together like that. There's a a slight delay. And that woman took advantage of the delay to tell me to shut up. You see. Stole your applause. Well, it sounded it might have sounded like she was being applauded. But clearly, people do not want a baby burbling away while they're trying to watch Will Smith act. What's the difference? <laughs> uh, but also, what was the scene in Ollie that made you go, hey, I, I can't be listening to a baby during this part. I don't want to miss a single boxing bell. 
show. Yeah, it's a sports movie too. I can't. I couldn't tell I you. Know, you saying, man, this baby's ruining my uh, <laughs> enjoyment of this biopic. It was when Jaden leaned over and said to him, "Will you get that baby to shut up?" Was Jaden the baby? <laughs> and then Could've they applauded you, going, "Yeah, fuck you, Jaden. Shut been. up." Do you think? Wait, I have another question. Yes. When the woman, when the mom went, "Shut up, fool." Do you think she was talking to the baby? <laughs> and so everyone was applauding her, going, oh, "Shut up, fool!" To the baby, where they were super applauding you and her together. Like Kelly, yeah. I like. I like your read on the situation. Yeah, that's probably right. But Kelly, one, let's back up and go to Dingus. Dingus is supposed to go first. Dingus, what's your third favorite applause line in the movie? Oh, that was the same one. No, it wasn't. Here's a here's a here's a here's the line in question. Ding, by the way, Dingus was not there for that. This was with my girlfriend and her mother in Berkeley. So it was in, and I think a brother might have even been there. Uh, this is like in front of people that I didn't want to think I was a schmuck. Did the mom go? Oh, he'll make a good father. I have no idea what she was thinking. Yeah, Does this I don't... girl with the yellow teeth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That girl, yeah, so Kelly Wand. Never mind. She might be that, listening. That girl claimed that it, her teeth were that way because of Chernobyl. So I hope you're happy. <laughs> yeah, you've told me this story. Yeah, she was a young Russian lady, and she's beautiful, but she had yellow teeth. And she once very self-consciously explained to me that it was because of Chernobyl. So I hope you feel bad. You're making fun of radiation fallout victims, Kelly Wand. That's not what radiation does. That's what I would have told her. <laughs> you don't know. You, we, you've seen what you've seen what it does to bears. We saw Chernobyl Diaries. When it drives you made bears out, crazy. That's true. Did you when you made out? Did you taste the uranium? Thing is, can you can you get, extract anyway? Me getting back to applause lines, which <laughs> I know, I know you I know you like the bears, Kelly. <laughs> I didn't understand the, that. Like there were sculptures sorry. of bears, or were they talking about was it a sports thing? I did not understand no. what that bear's talk was. Yeah, it, I didn't it, it was his. It was part of his. It was his sculpture thing. You made sculptures of bears. We we're that's not revealed. It's just that. Yeah, I like some of his stuff. I really like the bears, and so Dustin Hoffman addresses that directly. He's like, I know you like the bears, but it's the reshuffling of noxious cliches, like listening to music played slightly off key. He he he's talking about something that uh, that made uh, Judd Hirsch popular. Uh, I thought he was, they were saying, I like the Bears, like they're a lame team too. So I like Hoffman, because he's not great. There's no way they would be talking about the Bears if they're in New York. Oh, Maybe good point. Expats. Ah, another good point. Expats. That's we don't know, there's Dingus. Not, there's the no Patriots have nothing to do with Okay, no, so the, here's a lot. Here's the here's my my favorite my third favorite applause line in movies because I I clapped when I heard it. Um, nice. Here, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's your favorite fist pump movie, Kelly Wan. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It has next, to be a line. My next topic was going to be favorite fist pump moments. Dingus applauded a cloud, some CG happening, so it wasn't a line in the movie of dialogue. So he will be going to jail if it's just a cloud. <laughs> Con would be okay. Here's the line at long last. Here come two words for you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> that got applause? For me, Dingus. Yeah. 
Uh, every time I see it, it gets a plus for me. I don't care what everybody else is doing. Do you applaud every variation on that line? Like, I got two words for you, different number. Like, is that always going to get you? Like, yep, that's my brand. No, this is this is one of my favorite lines in movies because really, this is just license to give your favorite lines in movies and 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 theatrical experiences where people responded to this line. I mean, I wouldn't just it wasn't really laugh lines, but. Um, these are lines that people legitimately put their hands together for. And when De Niro says in Midnight Run, here come two words for you, shut the fuck up. Uh, I just remember clapping. And after the movie, uh, my dad was really sheepish about taking me to this movie because it was in 1988. Uh, I had just graduated from high school. Um, and he was really... Uh, and I didn't think about this until now, actually. But he was really um, embarrassed about taking me to see Midnight Run at that age <laughs> uh, because of the language in it. He just felt like the language was way too much. And I just remember at that time, really? as a kid who had just gotten into college, and I'm, I, I didn't talk that way on because I was a very much a, a, a church-raised kid, and I was really careful about that type of stuff. But it didn't bother me seeing it when it was well-written. And I think that's a really cleverly written line. And I think every F word in that movie is earned. Uh, and, and that's the thing I like about movies that are well-written, is that the profanity is, is, is earned. You know, it's, it's not like so often with PG-13 where we're just going to dose it out at some point or in an R movie, we're just going to throw it and throw it and throw it like scattering, scattering seeds in a field. Uh, th- this is a, this is really precise that, you know, there, I've got two words for you. Shut the fuck up. I think that's hilarious. And I understood the rhythm of the line and why it worked. I couldn't say the line at the time. And if I had tried to quote the line, I would have had to say F. I wouldn't have been able to say the word. I couldn't bring myself to say the word for, uh, a couple of years after that, and my uh, m- uh, my first theater job, they made fun of me for that. In fact, at the end of the the, the summer season I, at the theater, it was at this musical theater in Kentucky, they gave me the gosh darn it heck f award because I never would actually curse. Um, and my roommates would be like, "Come on, just say it." And I'd be like, "No, I don't want to talk that way," I'm, because there is, I think, there's a verse in the Bible that says, "Let no." Uh, incorrupt communication passed through your mouth, that kind of thing. What? Uh, which, which was supposed to be this idea of not only taking the Lord's name in vain, but also not cursing uh, and being very careful about what curse words you used. And eventually I loosened up about that, but still at this <laughs> early point, I understood that this was this was good writing that, that, that this was really funny and the rhythm of the line makes sense. But my dad was really apologetic afterward. And what I realized my parents uh, had been divorced for many years by this time. What I realized as I was thinking about this today is something that I realize when I take my kid to a movie is if there's something untoward in this movie and I haven't checked out with his mom first before taking him to this movie, I'm going to have to answer for it later on (laughs) and i think that my dad was a little bit nervous that he was going to have to answer for it later on but you were out of high school by then right yeah yeah i was uh, i was going into college by then Uh, okay 
I get being I get feeling weird if you're seeing a movie with your dad and there's like a big sex scene and then you feel like kind of weird like watching with your dad. But that's so I grew up in just such a different environment from you. It's it's strange. Like to me, language would be the first thing they should take off ratings because it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's the same thing. So well, my mom went back and forth, my mom and I went back and forth at this. It, actually, to this day, she she doesn't appreciate that. It's very much that, uh, in to a lesser extent, of course, the you know the way that that Paul and Annie argue about it in Misery, where she's like, "There's no reason to use that kind of language, Paul," and Paul's like, "These are street kids, Annie. That's the way they talk," and then she she just goes off on, "Well, I don't." I don't talk that way. Why do they have to talk that way? So and my mom like, has, yeah, but without, without the hobbling, um, she is, she is very much offended by this idea that, well, why do they need to talk that way? Why do they have to talk that way in movies? And I'm like, well, cause that's the way a lot of people talk and it adds a certain color to the script. There's a reason why they do that. And she just has never bought it because she just doesn't accept that. That that language People is necessary. Like it's it's just that it's not necessary to put that into entertainment uh, into something that you're considering entertainment or art. That's uh, so weird to me. I don't get it. It's strange. Uh, it's I understand strange. why she speaks that way because I was raised by her, and I understand where she's coming from. I just disagree with her, and I've constantly disagreed with her. I I would never use that kind of language around her out of respect for her um but i don't shy away from having debates about her for why movies can and books and poetry and songs can have those words in them without being uh i mean they may very well be offensive but uh there's a reason for the language to be used and so this is one of those first moments where I was like, oh, I really love the way that word is used. It was a, it was kind of a guilty pleasure for me. So that's why I would call that an applause line, because uh, I just remember the theater reacting, even looking, thinking back to the time I first saw Midnight Run in 1988 in a movie theater in Hampton Roads, Virginia. And that line coming up and just being just thrilled. I was thrilled by that line because it's just so funny. It's so well put together. I remember feeling that way in Temple of Doom when Indiana Jones is stuck on the bridge. Just goes, oh shit! This is one of my applause lines. But I remember thinking that wasn't an applause line, but I laughed like, "Hey, see, that is a shit. That is a shitty moment." And that's probably what he would say. So to me, like, it was exciting to see someone say, "Oh shit!" in a kids movie, mm-hmm. and now they never do it anymore. So I feel like we've gone backwards. Well, I, I could have come up with six lines from this the same movie so i i had to be i i wanted to space these out over three different movies so that's one of the reasons why i chose this one this is one of my favorite lines of all time and a movie uh, and a line that i remember actually clapping to oh yeah i should have pointed out you have to have clapped to it it can't just be an applause line that you respond to all right so uh tom are you still there <laughs> yeah yeah I think we're uh, Kelly's number three. Did Kelly even do yeah. one yet? No, you did your number three. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure I got a weird notification about one of the computers going down. Um, that everything's okay with you. So, Kelly, what's your number three then? In the motion picture with Gabe Kaplan, Fast Break, there's a point where the cops are chasing them. 
and uh, the black dude in the back seat's like, he has weed on him, and so he's like, oh, we got to start eating it. And so Gabe's all, how much do you have? And then he raises a bag, and he goes, one pound! And it's like a huge bag of weed. And then everyone in the audience howled and clapped. And then so they eat the whole pound of weed, and then the car passes them. But you know what? It's like yours. It's a math joke. And the title bit run also has math in it. So that's what I would have said to your dad. I would have gone, yes, there's profanity, but it's also math humor. So Dingus is learning at the same time. <laughs> it's educational. So, yeah. One pound. That's my number three. That's my bronze applause line, Tom. <laughs> Dingus' turn. I think Dingus is next. Dingus, what's your silver applause line? All right. This is uh, something that uh, this is the movie that I could have chosen two times. Uh, I could have chosen probably six lines from this movie, but I just went with puny God. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I just remember us uh, and I saw this with Tom um, and he also spoke to another to a parent during this. Uh, which, in this particular case, everybody in the theater supported, because there was a dad as when we saw the Avengers, who was having to explain every character that showed up in the Avengers and what they were doing uh, to this huge theater full of people seeing it on the opening weekend. And Tom's going like, "Sir, can you cut that out, please?" What do you yeah. mean in this particular case? In every particular case, when I've reprimanded parents, the audience has been grateful. Well, that's true. You're right. Shut I'm up. Every oh. particular case. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I just remember that. And it, again, there's so many different lines in the Avengers that, uh, that I just reacted with glee. And I remember the theater, uh, theater reacting with glee too. But those, the, you know, when Hulk punches Thor, that's not really um, a line, <laughs> even right. though everybody laughed and clapped. But when he uh, when Loki confronts him up in Stark Tower, and then he then Hulk smashes him against the floor and walks away and goes puny God. I just remember people clapping. Did am I the only one here who's seen that HBO miniseries, The Night Manager? Yeah. So you guys, you guys would know. Uh, it's based on I have a not. John Le Carre novel about uh, a hotel night manager, uh, and and various intrigue happens. But it's a six-hour miniseries. That is six hours of Tom Hiddleston being absolutely smoking hot. <laughs> it's just like he's just dripping sex. And I'm a heterosexual male, but that has no bearing on how Shut up. On, how, <laughs> on how hot he is for six hours. I mean, it's six hours of sustained. Holy crap. Look how hot Tom Hiddleston is. Uh, and everybody in the in the show, I mean, it's like everybody in the in the movie. It's not even a movie. Everybody in the miniseries feels that way as well. It's a miniseries about how hot he is, and how everybody else in the miniseries knows that as well. And you in the audience, you also know that. Um, uh, I'm not sure I can take him seriously as Loki anymore. He should basically so be. He should play Aphrodite from now on. It's such a pleasure watching him as Loki, though, because he has just he ta- he. He has such glee in that world. No, he's too sexy for Loki, Dingus. It doesn't work. Loki's not supposed to be sexy, Dingus. Yeah, Loki should not instill people to want to have sex with him everywhere yeah. he goes. That just makes no sense. It's terrible casting. 
He has that stupid hat. (laughs) What's he doing with those horns, then? See, exactly. Nothing good. Nothing you want to be involved in. (laughs) Oh, man, when when he's up on that promontory while they're having the fight, and he just kind of leans back and watches them have the fight in the forest. I think that's he's just so relaxed, and he's just so wonderful in the movie. God, he's so fucking good in it. That's the thing. I would give... I would just. I thought of doing yours, but I disqualified it because I go. The applause line is really his face afterwards, even more than the Hulk's line. Well, I almost did the line. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good acting. But they, even that made Tom want to have sex with him. When Hulk, threw it does him. now. I mean, I think you have to sit. I, I think you have to be conditioned by horns. watching by watching the Night Manager. It only takes six hours. It's all it takes, but uh, it will change how you look at Tom Hiddleston. I promise. What about Osiris, baby? That will change how you look at Kellen Lutz. Mm. True story. Is there a part in the Osiris, baby, where he walks out of water and he smiles because he's glad that he's <laughs> the water's wet? <laughs> he's like dog paddling. Whatever you, whatever you extrapolate from his expression. In <laughs> so it's actually it's called. <laughs> Yeah. Kelly Wan's referencing a movie I saw called The Osiris Child, where I think I actually think Kellen Lutz is good. I, I like him in it. Uh, uh, I thought you said that on the podcast. Sorry. Oh, maybe I did. Whoops, I could be screwing up. Sorry. No, actually, no, I don't think I did because we were just talking about Meyerowitz stories. Yeah. So there's a there's a science fiction movie it's streaming now called Osiris Child. It's actually not that bad, but it's really surprising because when Kellen Lutz shows up, you're like, oh, who is this guy? He's pretty good. Oh my god, I've been watching Kellen Lutz. Like that's how it, that's the that's the mental process you go through watching Osiris Child. That's what they say in the help when they realize what's in the sandwiches. <laughs> They're not sandwiches; it's pie. It's a pie. All right, my number two pick, my silver applause line. I don't think people should be applausing during movies. Applausing ever because you'll miss no. no, exactly because you'll miss stuff, and it takes everybody else in the audience out of the movie. And I feel this way. When you go to an opera, there's this stupid convention where after a beautiful aria, and, and you're watching an opera, an opera's like a movie, it's a show, it's a Love play, where they're singing, after an aria, the audience claps, and I hate that. And the soprano, whoever, sort of sits there and takes in the adulation, but you're supposed to be in the middle of a dramatic moment. Usually it's yeah. something very sad and very tragic. If I, if I were to ever run an opera house, it would be like the Alamo Draft House. In the Alamo Draft House, if you take a phone call, you get thrown out. In the Chick Opera House, if you applaud after an aria, I'm throwing you out. We don't want that nonsense. There are singers. There's a story going on here. Quit applauding. So I feel that way about movies. However, there is one point – well, one and two. My, my number two uh, favorite applause line is an instance where a song has ended, and I'm okay with people applauding because two things. The song was really good. Three things, actually. The song was really good. Christina Ricci's dancing was freaking adorable. And the movie had a tone shift. It actually physically changed the lighting. There was a lighting shift to take us out of the scene into this little musical number. And it's Christina Ricci singing Moonchild, or no, dancing to Moonchild, the King Crimson song, in the bowling alley in a movie called Buffalo 66. So if you enjoyed that song, if you enjoyed her dance, I'm okay with you applauding afterwards. So the applause line would just be – I had to look this up. <clears throat> Playing hide-and-seek with the ghosts of dawn 
waiting for a smile from a sun child. That's the final lyric in the song. At that point, if you'd like to applaud, go for it. Huh. Huh. Right. So as someone who doesn't approve of applauding in movies, that one's fine. Hmm. So this topic for you was like you had to get over your innate distaste for applause. Right, right. And don't don't applaud during movies. I think it's rude. Yeah. All right. Whose turn is it? It is now your turn, Kelly Wan. What's your, your second? What's your silver applause line? This one I am very ambivalent about because it was I thought a really exciting line, and then later on I felt like I couldn't enjoy it anymore. But it's at the end of Back to the Future after Marty goes, oh, what do our kids turn into assholes or something? And then Doc Brown's response is, yeah, well, we're going. There are no roads. And then he flies his car away. And then I thought when the second one was going to be made, oh, cool, we're going to see a roadless society in the future because of that great line. And then it turns out there are roads and they just land on them. So it's a metaphorical lack of roads. Yeah, so then I felt I felt like taking my, my applause back, but I couldn't because it was like five years later. You would think Doc Brown is about science and not poetry and metaphor, right? Yeah, because he also says what the he says a lot of applause lines because what the heck? That's like his explanation for wearing a bulletproof vest, and that's his applause line. Will Ronald Reagan, the actor? Yeah, <laughs> nice. Will Rick that's and Morty color your appreciation of Back to the Future, Kelly Wand? Uh, why would it? <laughs> I like them both. Well, they're based on uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly. Right. But, yeah, that's what I thought when I started watching. I go, oh, so it's a Back to the Future cartoon. And then I read somewhere that that's how it started out. Right. But in the but future, we won't the... need roads has nothing to do with the assholes. Otherwise, it would be in the future, we won't need assholes. Well, Yeah. I might be forgetting a couple parts. <laughs> uh, all right, Dingus, I think we're down to your favorite applause line in the movie. All right, here it is. Twelve. Is it twelve monkeys? No. Uh, is it uh, oceans? Is it, uh, the line that precedes it is? Didn't it run the castle run in fourteen parsecs? Twelve. That no one applauded at that. Oh Come yeah, on. they did. What? They were applauding all during Force Awakens. Oh my god, yeah, that movie was chock full of applause. From uh, you know, I actually, I I have to another math. I almost yeah. went with um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away because the theater went nuts when that showed up for Force Awakens. People had just been champing at the bit for so many years for. Uh, to see that logo show up again and to see that line. And when a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away showed up, the theater erupted in applause. And I almost went with that applause line, but um, but I watched it again. Uh, and I I just remember the, uh, the glee in the theater. Again, that just this absolute feeling of community that can happen in this type of situation when you're going to a movie theater. And as much as people complain about going to movie theaters, and a lot of people are fairly curmudgeonly about it, and I understand why there's a lot of things that happen that are kind of crappy, and it's expensive to go, and it's difficult for a variety of reasons, especially if you have kids to look after. But that moment where she says that it it 
did the Kessel Run in 14 parsecs. And you know all the nerds in the audience are going – or everybody in the audience is going, that's not – and then he goes, 12. People just erupted. I just remember it being such an exciting – it's not even fan service. It was just, and the Wait. way Harrison Ford uh, delivered the line was just, it was just delightful. And that was more applause than a line from the original Star Wars when you were a kid and everyone, what? I, we're just fine. You don't? I mean, right. I remember people applauding at the end of the movie, I guess. I remember I mean, they applauded if the you wanna, If you want to have one of the lines be, then yeah, fine. Yeah. Wow, that was good, Dingus. That was good, and that was a big applause line because they all turn around. No, I mean, yeah, well, this is Wookiee. That's good. <laughs> no, that's seriously, that was a good Wookiee. Let okay. the Wookiee win got applause. C-3PO got applause lines. That's the that's when we grew up, Dingus. Uh, do, you think, do you think when Lucas wrote C-3PO saying, oh, what a drag in Attack of the Clones, he thought that would be an applause line? Okay, it's a good one. Number one. Maybe you don't recognize me because of my red arm. <laughs> right, Tom Chick. Yeah. We have, we have Tom Chick up next with his number one. My favorite applause line is, "It's another day of sun," which is the last <laughs> lyric in the opening song in La La Land. That that bit is so ebullient, and it's just so joyous, and we haven't been introduced to any characters yet, so it's okay if you want to interrupt the movie with applause at this point. Yeah. It's early enough. It's like an overture. It is an overture. If you want to applaud after the overture before the movie, that's fine. And uh, you know, I, I saw La La Land in the theater I, geez, at least seven times probably. Uh, Jesus. And several – on uh, a few of those times – Definitely the audience erupted into spontaneous applause after Another Day of Sun. Because, and I think Damien Chazelle knows this, it, there's a moment there, and then the title card pops up, and there's a moment of quiet. It's like, it, it's like the movie is holding for your applause mm-hmm. at that moment. So I'm okay if you want to applaud then. I will not run you out of the theater or shush you at that point if you'd like to applaud. So that's right. my favorite applause line. Okay. Uh, Kelly Wand, what is the best applause line in a movie. By the way, real quick, uh, uh, Blade Runner 2049 not doing well uh, in the box office. Uh, it had a pretty steep drop off for its second weekend. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a, f- a financial failure for Warner Brothers and Sony. Uh, it was it was number two this weekend, a distant number two, behind a horror movie called Happy Death Day. <laughs> which is – it's some dumb Blumhouse. Jason Blum has this production studio, Blumhouse, and they do just cheap horror movies. They do them cheaply. They make lots of money. Happy Death Day opened at number one this weekend. It did something like I think $30 million. Uh, uh, Blade Runner's second weekend was $15 million. So it got trounced by a crappy horror movie starring no one famous, <clears throat> and it's not a series. Like It's not like a sequel to Insidious or anything like that. It's just a movie about a girl who's the, – the day she dies, she keeps reliving it. I don't know, something scary presumably happens. But the silver lining in the fact that this movie opened at number one over Blade Runner, it stars one of the actresses from La La Land. Mm. So good for her. I'm happy for her. Uh, I'm sad for Blade Runner, though. 
I'm really upset about the Blade Runner thing uh, for personal reasons because my dad uh, he lives in Virginia and he's he's like when I come out and see you again over the holidays I'm gonna want to go see Blade Runner with you and I'm, I had to tell him you know I'm not I don't think it's gonna be around then it's not doing well if you have a chance to see it you should see it while you can maybe it came out at the wrong time they just disappear so fast and if it's if it and if it's that anemic it's hard to schedule anyway I don't I don't what know if it's going to be available. Uh, the, well, we're getting into we're going to be getting into award season. There's going to be plenty yeah. of schedule, and this is this is a difficult movie to schedule because of its length. It's hard for it's harder for the theater to make money on it. I just don't get why what people are doing. They'd rather see Happy Death Day than <laughs> or did they yeah, see that? Yeah. Well, Jessica Roth well, is in Happy Death Day, the cute little uh, girl in the yellow dress from La La Land. Of course, that title doesn't that. make me want to see. But also, kids kids will take their dates out, you know, to see the movie. They're not going to go to a to Blade Runner. I mean, who's going to go see Blade yeah. Runner? Yeah, Kelly One Plus, uh, Happy Death Day, rated PG thirteen. Children can go. Blade Runner, rated R. Children can't go. Hmm. That's why ratings are stupid. But also, <laughs> um, it's better to go on a date to Blade Runner because it's three hours long. If you're going to like make out during the movie, it's better for that than during a fucking horror movie. Where every fifteen minutes, just as you're trying to neck, you're like <laughs> neck. Is that what it's wow. called? Wow, neck. You're necking with your date. <laughs> yeah, you guys want a neck? You say naked, so I guess you neck and you get naked. Who does? You. You say naked. Well, when I when it's appropriate, naked. You know, thing is, there's a difference between naked and naked. You know this. Naked yeah. is when you don't have any clothes on. Naked is when you don't have any clothes on, but you should. People don't neck anymore. It's making out. Kelly one. <laughs> I would like you to tell me your favorite applause line in every single movie that you've ever seen or heard of on this planet. What's the best applause uh, line? It's funny you say that because my number one is from the 1978 motion picture Star Crash, which uh, stars David Hasselhoff as Prince Simon. <laughs> And there's one point where there's like these Ray Harryhausen robots. There's two of them that the Emperor Jarn Arnath. <laughs> See why anime is stupid compared to the white man's awesome stories is he's imprisoned them. So he leaves like these two kind of like clockwork metal robots, Ray Harryhausen stop motion kind of ones with like silver swords to watch them and then walks off to go blow up something. And then Hasselhoff's friend with the blonde afro says to Carol Monroe don't give up have faith or something shit something like that and then he like pulls out a lightsaber and then he dances around doing a lightsaber fight against these two robots with metal swords but they did your Ryan Gosling voice for him. yeah I, I, I thought I heard that too dumb yeah I feel bad for him now so I'm trying to give him more work all right Kelly wand um, oh did we what was the applause line oh don't give up have so faith. then uh, when the uh, so then it, he wins, but they wound him. So then Hasselhoff has to finish off the other robot with the with the lightsaber, and then it cuts to a planet blowing up, and then a kid in the audience went. So that's why they call it Star Crap, and then everyone cheered. So that's my number one. Ah, right, like an audience applause Pause. line. Kelly Wan, maybe you can help me on this. I just want to give you a sense of the fifth-rate nerds that I hang out with, including Dingus here. There was some talk 
recently we were playing board games and someone brought up the movie Ice Pirates. And I was like, oh, yeah, is that the one with Molly Ringwald? And they're like, no, no, no. And I was like, what's the one with Molly Ringwald? Thank you. I knew you would know, Kelly. None of these other jokers could tell me what the movie was. They didn't know it. They had no idea what I was talking about when I brought up Molly Bring- Ringwald. So, Kelly Wan, what's the full name of the movie? It's Space Hunter colon yep, go 3D on. Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Kelly Wan, I could just kiss you. That's beautiful. And Dingus, Peter take Strauss. a lesson from, from Kelly Wan there. That's, that should have been the correct answer when I'm like, Ice Pirates, is that the one with Molly Hunter? Uh, Molly That's Ringwald? And then you guys should totally be like, no. It's, uh, no, I, I kept saying, I think that's Cherry 2000. At least, yeah, at least Dingus did have a, a plausible alternative. But everybody else was like, Molly Ringwald, what? It came out right after Jedi, too. So it was like, yeah, Return of the Jedi, and that was its competition, was uh, Space Hunter. Adventure. Sure, it was a close race. Yeah. Kelly Wan, do the listeners have applause lines that they would like you to read on the air from anime movies, for instance? Uh, they seem to really like the topic. Uh, it's usual, uh, sausage party. That's my fault, I guess. Mike Pullman writes, Pullman, Mike Pullman or Pullman? Mike Pullman writes, hey guys, here's my votes for best applause lines in movies. Number one, I've come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. I'm all out of bubblegum. Rowdy, Rowdy, Piper, and they live. Yep. I remember applause during that. That's the... That's how your topic gets accepted, is if I remember that people did applaud it. Number two, rousing speech ending with, and this will be our Independence Day, Bill Pullman. Uh, I'm told Germans applauded at that, at a barbecue, like a family barbecue they were watching. Wait, Germans don't even have an Independence Day. They don't even know what that is. I know. They don't even have barbecues. But they still were like, yeah, fuck aliens. We're independent from them. It's not even independence, though, is it? It's just death or life. It's not really an independence thing. I think technically it's liberation. Is it's the also word. a president saying it. Yeah, I think the word Bill Pullman was looking for was liberation, and he just accidentally used the wrong word. Remember when the British in Independence Day go, they, Jeff Goldman was, hey, we can uh, give them viruses and spam or something. What do you mean and it's the, not independence? It was July 4th when this was happening. No, I know, but in the movie story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still not independent. I wouldn't if okay, if if aliens actually invaded Independence Day and my president went and they blew up all our landmarks, and then our president went, Okay, today's our independence day. Like for the whole world. I mean, and then the British that we declared independence from are like, Yeah, finally the Yanks figured out how to deep beat the computer. Blow me. Like when they go, wait. Can't you use a different term that's more global? Like today's our insurgents. This is our Columbus Day. Yeah, something we can all get on board. Number three, <laughs> get away from her, you bitch. Sigourney Weaver, aliens. Yeah, people love yeah, that. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. People applauded at that. There was. I saw that at a, at a revival. There was. Uh, a black lady audience who was like at the end of the movie where Sigourney Weaver is just trying to like, climb out of the door <laughs> after she's her suits landed on the uh, alien queen. She's all get up, bitch! Come on, you got this! Like she was really worried that that was how Sigourney Weaver was gonna die. Like after all that, she's like, oh, maybe the door's gonna. Interesting side. Roddy Piper's character Sig- doesn't have a name, and they live. There's only a list in the credits. Is Nada. 
What were you going to say? Sigourney Weaver said to the Queen, "I'm hi, I'm Sigourney." But it's the Queen. <laughs> you should see the other Queen. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Tubbs thoughtfully silent. No, I'm, Arthur, I'm, I'm, I'm just silent. I'm not having thoughts. <laughs> Arthur Giovanni Jelly writes. I'm not entirely sure what you're going for with this one. Number three, Swamp Pilgrim versus the World. I thought this was one of my easy ones. I was trying to give you guys a break from my usual dumb ideas. Number three, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. There's a scene between Sarah and Culkin when Wright puts in laugh and applause tracks. I think the line that triggers the biggest reaction is that maybe you can get to second and a half base tonight. <laughs> Love that line. Tom likes it. Tom is second half is, base like touching someone's stomach? Yeah, I think so. Huh. But that's what's called necking. <laughs> if you're half naked. Number two, Godzilla. The savior of the city lie that appears on a TV <laughs> after the monster fight. I missed that in the synopses. You used to get uh, a lot of mileage out of that. Excuse me. I thought of it after this one and I couldn't think of anything. For Meyerowitz, it was like, oh, it's in one of the newspaper. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people were supposed to clap for Godzilla at this point. Not sure anyone did. All right. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say when I described the topic that people had to applaud. It just it could be an attempted applause line, I suppose. Forget it, forget what I said earlier. Because I forgot to qualify it could be someone in the audience making the audience applaud. Because it's a line. Quit what? I love how your the Kelly Wan Constitution is a living, breathing document that changes. Yeah, constantly. it's got amendments. I'm giving women the vote in 2019 if they play their cards right. Number one, Skyfall. The Bond series has a long history of bad jokes and puns that the older fans tend to love. I remember going to this movie with my dad in a theater full of older men and everyone reacting to the last rat standing line. I think it's supposed to be part of Bardem's comeuppance and perhaps drew some applause. Not sure, though. Hmm. The last red standing one? Do you guys remember what he's talking about? I don't remember. I do not I don't either, and I don't remember anyone applauding it. And I like the idea that that's a line that old men know. <laughs> the last rat standing. <laughs> Sweet. That's Drax, how was <laughs> Drax was in that scene. <laughs> He'd be a good Bond villain. He's like Blofeld. He's too lovable. I'd rather him be Bond. I know, I know we wouldn't we wouldn't be rooting against him. Here's your new watch. <laughs> Daniel Arnaldo Lascalier Crone writes. You just made that up. It's fucking Garrick. Gentlemen, I'm a big fan of the podcast and pleased to be writing you again. However, I'm confused by your Kelly one order to institute the best applause lines in movies. What is an applause line? I do not know. I was thinking this is a line to have when you wanted to get the audience applause, such as you would say to Hillary, when they go high, you go higher about Michelle Obama. <laughs> the audience did applaud. But now you want this from a movie? I cannot think of a single one unless you mean movies where someone gives a speech. Did you mean this? I really do not know. Usually all of Kelly One's sayings are extremely clear and have only one possible meaning. So this was, as you say, quote, shocking to me. So I think I can do three things. Each one has a different meaning or reason. 
but I will surely get it in the end. What's he making fun of us for? Length or me, me being dumb? Number one. When I was visiting the United States in 1986, I stopped to see the movie Aliens, which was a sequel to a good movie from before. And this, there's a suit that's been made for a different movie called Labis, which looks like a mechanique. And Sigourney Weaver uses it to say, get away from me, you bitch. I was quite shocked by this, but all the theater movie people shouted and clapped because this was to their liking. Is this what you mean? <laughs> Number two. <laughs> it's a 1935 movie directed by Fräulein Lini Riefenstahl yeah. entitled The Triumph of the Will. Adolfo Hitler. I know, see? He's the real me. Adolfo Hitler, the leader of Germany, says this thing, which I translate as, there's always a part of society that makes itself apart from the rest, and it is expected from it more than from the millions of its camaraderie. For there's not enough to say that they believe, but they must say that they will fight. Then all the crowd in the movie, which is Germany, claps so hard. If you want to say the line that has the most applause of any lines in the other movies, number three, I honestly know what you mean by this, so I will guess again, since I have what the idiom I think is no concept or idea of the terms of your request. Lastly, in summation, I choose a movie, actually a film from 1929 with the name Applause. Oh, wait, I just lost the email. Damn it! Nick D writes... Yeah, I can't find it. It's gone. Oh, wait, okay, I found it again. Lastly, in summation, I choose a movie, actually a film from 1929 with the name Applause, and it stars Helen Morgan. Do you remember her? She was in black and white then. She plays Kitty Darling, but Tony Wadsworth was in it as well, you know? And every line from this is what you asked for, so I can't believe I'd be in prison. And if you did want it, I would say that non-American people cannot be jailed by your program unless they're from a country Kelly Wan is in. And all I can tell you very rightly is this is not me now, so I am safe. And if you now want to blame a person, it is logically proved this cannot be I. Is this what you mean? <laughs> Thank God I found this. Thank you, and I hope this is not too late for your program. The warmest regards, Daniel Arnaldo Lascalier Crone. Thank you, Daniel. That was thoughtful. Hmm. Applause the movie, Tom. Never that's heard of it. I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. That's what your guy wrote in with. The brain surgeon. Nah, yeah, I was busy watching a cell, uh, a Brawl and Cell Block 99 instead yeah, of applause. Math, math things. Nick D writes, hi guys, number three, I am no man. In Return of the King, it's telegraphed to hell, but I still applauded when Aowen killed the king of the Nazgul. I think right, it's from the book, too. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. definitely from the book. Yeah, and yeah. you're totally waiting it's to see that happen. Yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. See, I like it when they f they find a loophole through the prophecy that's also empowering. Number two, here's an exchange. Malcolm says to his phone, fucking hang up on me, haven't you, you fucking hoity-toity. The tourist says, hey, buddy, enough curse words, all right? Malcolm responds, kiss my sweaty balls, you fat fuck. I mean, I did applaud, but I also just want to hear Kelly want to read that. Number one, get away from her, you bitch. If you didn't applaud when Ripley came out wearing the power loader, we don't need your kind around here. Cheers, Nick. She does that, and then she blow. She like fries all the alien eggs. Like she, alien queen agrees to her terms, and then she kind of reneges. But fuck the aliens. They did kill all of her friends. 
Chris Markardson writes, Hey guys, I did this wrong. I do think these are lines that deserve applause, but I'm sorry, Kelly. I'm very sorry. Number three, The Beguiled. Irish Colin Farrell. Miss Fanning, I really loved your work in War of the Worlds. That long <laughs> thing that made you scream in the basement. A certain body part of mine is a similar tip. And she screams. <laughs> Thanks. I also think I was in that. <laughs> <laughs> Markardson, damn you to hell. This is like anime. It's Kelly anime. Warcraft. I came because. Yes, yes, portals, green CG, you don't need to come in person. I'm a mage in this. And stir. <laughs> Well, I don't remember this one. This is a real old one. From Fast and Furious 6, Tom Chick. My name is Tom Chick, and I'm here with Christian Mirlowski, I think it is. Dingus. It's Roman, bitches. (laughs) Kelly Wan. He's got a V8 in him. Tom. And with the Furious 6 tagline, Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan. Nice! Sorry, guys, Chris. <laughs> oh, so nice is the tagline. Furious. Meaning of that, Dingus. It really is the, uh, that's what she said. <laughs> I think Fucking the Mark tagline Hudson. should have been NOS. <laughs> oh, see, Kelly Wand? See? Yeah. See? When he, he brings it, there. he brings it. Dingus brings it. He just, he's an applause liner. Chris Webb writes, number three, Metropolitan. I've always planned to be a failure anyway. That's why I plan to marry an extremely wealthy woman. <laughs> that's, a, that's a style choice. Some fucking Whitman, Whit Stillman applause lines? Come on, Tom. That's, no, Whit Stillman is a... That, has, shut up, fool. He's like, a, he's like a rental version of Noah Baumbach. Yeah, Noah Baumbach. You, right, TV yeah, yeah. level, yeah. Do golf claps count as applause? <laughs> That's what Stillman blazer clap. What Stillman's like uh, Christian Bale's American Psycho character, like one of his friends. That's not a psycho. Who admires his business card? One of those yeah. guys. Yeah, he's got like a nice cream white. Number two, ten things I hate about you. I guess in this society, being male and an asshole makes you worthy of our time. Number one, happiness. I came, Uh-oh. C-dub. <laughs> Wait, was that an applause line in Happiness? Did the crowd applaud, or are these... He doesn't specify. Depends on the crowd. Crowdheads. Yeah. Ouch. When a crowd applauds, they're all coming, like, with their hands. Oh. Okay, so that's the listener's submissions. On that note, ends with some comings. And, uh, yeah, real cool. Do you guys have any runners up for applause lines, Tom? And I do not because I don't think people should applaud during movies. I disapprove of I noise. <laughs> Audience should be not seen or heard. 
I actually sit in the back corner when I can, Tom, because I like to see the audience. Are you serious? Watching the movie. Sometimes, yeah. I want to see if they... Because I don't want to miss it if someone leaves. Like if people walk out, like during Watchmen. And if oh. you have to sit in the back row to catch that. Sure, yeah. Because otherwise, what if someone leaves and they were sitting behind you and you didn't notice? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a dumb idea. I don't know. I'm keenly aware when I sit at an angle to the screen. Like, I I don't want... I really am. Like, I'll get used to it, I guess. But I I need to be... You gotta be in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just me. I understand. I mean, there's a whole theater there. There's other factors at play for me. I never understand people who want to sit against the wall, for instance. That's just, what? No, I love that wall. No. The side wall of a theater. Like, why would you ever, like, when you've got two aisles coming down, you've got the center block, you've got the little blocks off to the side. Sometimes, like, people will go off to one of the side walls. Why? Those are the worst seats in the place. Why would you sit there? No. I can understand maybe wanting to be in the back of the theater, but I don't know. Hmm. The sidewall's okay if you want to smoke pot surreptitiously and you have, like, only one direction you need to cover yourself from. That's like, what's going on. Things. Okay. That that clears things up. Or if you're going to neck. <laughs> you don't want to be surreptitious. What if, what if you're going to mac? Uh, if you're going to mac, then you don't want the wall. You want the wall, but you want to sit backwards on the front row so what if, the, the, you can see the audience watching you do it. What if you want to nosh? Uh, like the Gerald's dog. <laughs> uh, uh, Dingus, did you have runners up for your favorite applause lines? These are mine. Tom's runners up for applause lines. <laughs> Things we're saying. Not really. They're just lines I like. And I could have chosen a bunch from Avengers, but so I won't. I won't bother you with them. So Dingus, uh, Kelly Wand and I are the only ones on this podcast who have seen Gerald's game. Do, uh-huh. do you feel like? Do you feel like you should? Do something about that? No, I think we should keep it that way. Huh? I read and watched it in, the, in a week. It was a I only watched it. So I, I, I you, Kelly, I know you if, read it. I know if I actually see it, you're just gonna say you watched Gerald's game and you still haven't seen Edge of Seventeen. So I, I'm just yeah, it's Gerald. a slippery slope. Dang, I was trying to get you with that. All right. Wait, you right. didn't see Edge of Seventeen? Nope. <laughs> What? He, re- he rewatched Force Awakens tonight instead. And he oh watched Fire Witch Stories four times. Which, that I can't blame. That makes more sense to me than seeing Force Awakens. You didn't even like Force Awakens. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to say anything about Force Awakens to us, Kelly Wand. I stick by what I said before the podcast. So we should just take the titles out and just make it episode one, two, three. <sighs> People do that. Because yeah. no, I want to see... I don't want to see the word Jedi in a movie title because I'm an adult. I don't need to see multiple. <laughs> I feel embarrassed. It's like Game of Thrones, fucking fan fiction horseshit. Well, yeah, I'm an adult. Yeah, I'm just seeing I'm part eight of something. I can't be mocked too much. <laughs> Except for having seen eight of them. That's right, well, probably mockable. Uh, what will our three by three be next week? Next week's three by three is your favorite seat belts in movies. Oh, the belts themselves. <laughs> Just the use of seat belts in movies. Oh, yeah, I've got two of mine. I'm ready. What? Right off the bat, I've got two great ones. Uh, does yep. it have to be in a car? 
Mm. Did I say it was in a car? I don't know. I wasn't listening. Mm. Hmm. How strange. So seat belts, so shoulder seat, straps, seat belts. Seat belts, seat belts that make you uh, that make people applaud. I think Three Best Oceans is the only talk, but topic I've done where I really thought some interesting thoughts were spoken. <laughs> the rest have been kind of a... It has jump. been steadily downhill from there. The tide yeah. has gone out since then. So these are your favorite uh, seatbelts in movies. And if you have any uh, seatbelts in movies that you like or how seatbelts are used in movies that you like, and keep in mind, Kelly One has pointed out that I did not specify cars uh please write into three by three at quarter to three dot com that's three x three at quarter to three dot com and if you have any thoughts about the upcoming movie that we're going to see mm. which is oh geez i can't remember do you guys know geoforce <laughs> geoforce geoforce, geoforce drivers of course, Dingus can't remember because he didn't even he didn't even like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, right. It. We had to explain the cop scene to him because he didn't get it. Can I remember? I, 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 I thought it was just. Why is that in there? Or like, I didn't well, understand the owl because I thought it was just derivative of Blade Runner. <laughs> Check out our owl. What? Remember, Sean Young. Anyway, what movie are we seeing next week, Tom? Uh, Thomas Alfredson's The Snowman. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Why did you make that noise, Kelly Wand? Because <laughs> he sounds Italian. Thomas oh, Alfredson? Uh, yeah. Isn't that an Italian name? I, yeah, I'm no. pretty sure he's a Swede. Yeah. I know Italians go, ah, uh, no, yeah, he's yeah. Norwegian. I don't think he, yeah. I don't, he's a Really, he's, a he's Norwegian? He's in a movie called The Snowman? Is I mean, the only like Norwegian a- filmmakers are uh, Roar Uthog... Uh, the guy doing the Tomb Raider uh, movie, and who's the guy that did uh, Troll Hunters? Dingus, do you remember? Uh, uh, Garth he's, Nor- he's Norwegian. Uh. I'm making a thing joke. Come on. Hey Swedes, or hey Sweden, <laughs> right? Tell them I'm Swedish. <laughs> so if you have any thoughts about the snowman, uh, please write in as well to oh. three by three at quarter to three dot com, three x three at quarter to three dot com. Give it a different subject line. Uh, if you could write the snowman in the subject line, I can call those out and be able to put them into the discussion. If you have questions for us, be free, feel free to ask questions that you might want us things that you might want us to discuss. We had a listener last uh a couple weeks ago, I think, or last week. Um, yeah, for the Blade Runner podcast, Aaron Kane, who's like, I'm not going to give you my thoughts, but I hope you hit these points. And that give, gave us some things to talk about and some things to mull over. So if you have some thoughts about the movie or some questions you might want answered, uh, please write in uh, with a subject line, The Snowman, and I can call those and I can talk about them. So that would be 3 by 3 dot com. And when do they have to do, do that by, Tom? Oh, uh, that. Make sure to get us your emails by uh, Sunday, October 22nd, Midnight Pacific, and we'll make sure to include them on the air. Great. So join us for that. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christian Murkowski. And Kelly Wand. Hey, Degas, I had a cool idea. We make soccer fields bathroom sized. Hey, Degas. Oh,
I love you. I forgive you. Forgive me. Thank you. Goodbye. And then we also replace uh, toilet seats with nets, and then you hear a siren every time you drop a poo. And you're like, do you forgive me still? <laughs> I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Kelly and Christian and Genius Tom makes three. Go fuck yourself!